0: This episode is supported by Dove. Narrow beauty standards have permeated our feeds, perpetuating beauty ideals that can't be achieved in real life impacting girls' self esteem. To help combat this, the Dove Self Esteem Project is taking action to support the next generation so that they can have a positive experience on social media, providing free resources to parents, mentors, and educators. Dove is tackling the issue of digital distortion with Reverse Selfie, a film rooted in new research on body confidence. They're also providing a new confidence kit so that kids and parents can navigate social media with confidence and have a more positive experience online head over to dove.com slash the selfie talk to download the new confidence kit and helpful tips to have the selfie talk today but Alex yeah Shane
1: we need to begin this episode
0: let's do it hello everyone I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband Shane the babies are in bed the cat is in her room and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this family tree podcast episode 94 94 94 Alex
1: do you know what that means what Six more away from 100. <laughs> I was going to say four more, but then I did the quick math.
0: Yeah, that quick math. And you got that quick math right. And I can't wait. Honestly, like, I can taste the hundo. It tastes good. I can't wait to get there. Are we going to have a party for it? A party? Yes. Why?
1: <laughs> I was trying to say it the way you said it. I said it funny? I, I was laughing. <laughs>
0: See, you always, I was going to say you always pick out something funny that I say in the episode, but I thought finally I had something to pick on you for.
1: No, yeah. Sometimes just hearing your own voice, it's like Mm. listening to your voice on an answer machine. It's like, that's what I sound like? And that's what I did. I parroted what you said.
0: Potty. All right. Well, for our 94th episode, which is a party in itself. Might uh, as well
1: be the 100th. (laughs)
0: It's a party of knowledge and amazing, amazing thinkers. Uh, So first up, we have Chaz Lewis, Mr. Chaz. He is a TikTok sensation, but he's a parent coach. And we talk breaking generational cycles, understanding empathy, how to, you know, help your kids reach the next levels of empathy, moving from punitive to positive parenting, and, you know, just so much in between about just talking to your kids and leveling with them and how to do that.
1: Do you have a frog in your throat right now? Are you trying to fight through
0: <laughs> it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. Well, no, I heard a
1: little froggy. <laughs> I like it. I'm not complaining.
0: All right. I just took a sip of water. All right. And next up, we have Jesse Warnock, who is a dear friend of mine, and she is a psychotherapist. So with her, we have had her on before, and she was so amazing. Oh, my gosh. When you get to that interview, she has the most calming, nurturing voice and I think even that is just such a testament to how good she is at her job. But we discuss... <laughs> I like how that's <laughs> one of the things. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm so soothed by her. Uh, but we discuss dealing with parents with mental health issues. So a lot under that umbrella... But mainly, what causes the blocks in parenting, the parenting styles that you might take on because of this, because of trauma, because of mental health problems that you do have, how to get through these blocks, and just how to cope, how to keep yourself healthy and your family healthy, happy, and safe.
1: I'd listen to this podcast.
0: Yeah. Oh, I think everybody should listen to the podcast. There are two amazing interviews. And Shane, before we get into your amazing opening with, you know, great topics, Cheers, baby.
1: Thanks for putting the pressure on. No, I like pressure. Here we go. What do we have here?
0: All right. So today, babe, we kept it simple. I had a an afternoon friend date for the first time in two years. So we're just doing seed lip and cucumber tonic by Fever Tree, and it's beautiful. It's
1: classic. It's delicious. You know, that's pretty much all you need. Like, I could drink this every day of my life and be happy.
0: Oh, 100%. The fancy
1: stuff is nice, but this is, to me, really all I need.
0: The bread and butter. I agree. Okay, but wait you, before you get into the topics. Yes. I'm sorry, Shane, I got I have a bone to pick with you. Oh, no. No?
1: I just said, oh, no, as in I'm scared. <laughs> I, you can still say it. Okay.
0: So prior to the pandemic, when you would leave for like a night out, if I was like going to bed or something, I'd be like, okay, babe, I'm going to bed. Love you and then you wouldn't answer me back. And I'd be sitting there staring at my phone until like 2am being like, why isn't he saying I love you? What's going on? And I'd get like really worked up about it in my own head. And then I was the one who left you today to go with my friends. And when I left, like before I was out of the driveway, I sent you a text saying, thank you. And I love you. And you never texted me back. So I'm sitting at this like pool at a mansion looking at my phone being like why isn't he saying anything back and then you texted me something different that wasn't i love you too what was up with that
1: there's two children that i'm looking after i didn't look at my phone i didn't even see the text where you said oh i'm coming home at 5:45 or whatever mm-hmm. which to me is cutting it a little close to bedtime because <laughs> you had acted like oh i might be home a little bit late for dinner and to me, that's, oh, 5.15, she'll be home. You end up strolling in uh, right before bedtime. <laughs> you actually came up as I'm putting Lucy to bed with Betty in my hand. It was true. Scared the living shit out of me.
0: <laughs> I walked up behind Shane, put my hand on him, and he- you jumped. You jumped.
1: Yes, I'm very jumpy. You're was, easily scared. I was mid-lullaby or some game I was playing, and I thought a burglar was just about to take me out and, you know, murder me in front of the children. But uh, yeah, sorry that, that that bone was picked.
0: No, I'm just saying that
1: I made you have. I'm to just pick saying that bone.
0: now that things are opening back up, you know, just like little goodnight text or just a little something if we are apart, just to know everything's cool. That's all.
1: Alex was gone for two hours. Everyone, <laughs> two two hours she left for. Like how uncool could things get?
0: Hey, you just. I left you with two screaming kids. I walked out, and I just want to make sure you were okay and just tell you that I loved you, and that's it.
1: Yeah, I was just looking after them. You know, you, you put your eyes on the phone. You try to craft the perfect romantic message to your <laughs> wife. Before you know it, Betty's just gone and, you know, offed herself somehow. Wow. I know, that's murdering. Horrific. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of <laughs> language that I wasn't uh, expecting to use when we started this episode, but here we are. Okay, can I get into my topics? Yeah, do it. Alex's big day out.
0: Alex is picked it she up. was
1: out for two hours. Uh, you came back with your breath smelling of alcohol.
0: Oh, you smelled that? Yes. Mm. Yes. Uh,
1: you were swimming in a pool. You were eating lots of amazing foods. I mean, it was on your Instagram. I'm not sure if people saw it because it was in your stories. So mm-hmm. they only had a 24-hour window to see it. But it looked quite opulent and uh, I was envying you.
0: Yeah. You know what? It was funny because I was even saying uh, the girls, there were four of us that were there. At my friend's house at her, at her beautiful, beautiful backyard in her pool. And she put out a spread for like 20 people. There were only four of us. So I ate almost an entire Mr. Grande pizza to myself.
1: So she knew from the get-go that there was only going to be four yeah. people. It's not like – because it made it seem like she put out a spread for 20 people that she invited and then no one showed up. And then she's right. kind of a loser.
0: Yeah, no. She, <laughs> she was just – ensuring that nobody would go hungry, essentially, uh, at our party. So at our four-person party.
1: And would you say that's a uniquely Italian thing or is that –
0: European. It's it's super European. And then, you know, she sends us all home with little baggies full of food and foil-wrapped food, of course. So I brought some home for Shane and just a very European way of taking care of people. Yeah, so we're swimming and I was just – I was the most relaxed person. So first of all, I'm used to swimming in lakes, right, like cold water. But well, That's what we're used to. This pool, Shane, you would have gone crazy. It was turned up to like 95.
1: I love a hot pool.
0: Shane, it was like a hot tub. The whole thing was a swimmable hot tub. That's
1: my dream. Yeah, I, I often say, I wish I could swim in a hot tub. Well,
0: because my friend's husband, he just likes, he likes to sit in the pool and smoke cigars. So he likes it to be super warm. And uh, so I was just, I'm floating there. Nobody else is in the water. Like my hair's all wet. I'm just in there having a ball and just saying how relaxing it was to get away for a couple hours in the middle of the afternoon.
1: Yeah. Your breath smelled pretty relaxed. I will say <laughs> when you came in.
0: Well, the girls are saying, like, oh, Alex, like you need to get out more, like whatever. And I was like, well, you know what? You I need to do. get out
1: more, more than <laughs> once every 16 months.
0: <laughs> and, but I said, you know, it's funny because I love to get out but whenever I picture going out, like, I want to get out with Shane and go and experience something with him so we could go and, like, talk about it after. You know what I mean? And uh, so anyway, we're planning a cigar smoking, wine drinking thing there for uh, me, you, my friend, and her husband.
1: So I can come.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, it's good.
1: Do I get to smoke a cigar? Yeah. I like that idea. I have a fantasy about getting older and getting into cigars. And I'm worried <laughs> that you won't like that.
0: Well, you can You can start now. Look, I just made the date.
1: Oh, but you would like how often can I smoke these cigars?
0: Oh, not often, Shane. I would like you. You're already older than me. I would like you to at least meet me in the age gap, so you don't die too you far. You have ahead
1: of me. lupus. You're like a <laughs> ticking time bomb, Alice.
0: <laughs> it's pretty well managed. Okay,
1: you don't. It's managed because you're relatively young.
0: All right, and then you're old. So my lupus, your age, Six it years. balances. George
1: Burns lived to be a hundred years old. Do you know who he is? Yeah, he needed to live longer for you, I guess. I am older. <laughs> okay. Is
0: he, but, wait, is he, is he a boxer?
1: No, he's a comedian. Oh. You know, the old guy, he, he looked like a chimpanzee a little bit. He always smoked a cigar. Red just, hair? No, gray. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I only knew him old. No. Yeah, I knew him from like 50 to 100. Mm. Even though I'm only 38, so that's not possible. I guess I knew him like, you know, 60 to 100. But... Okay, next topic, unless you want to talk about this party you went on. No, it was
0: opulent and beautiful, and uh, I'm so grateful for it.
1: Okay, I think I've gotten to the bottom of my issue, you know, like I've been trying on this journey pretty much since we started this podcast, trying to figure out what is my, for lack of a better term, major malfunction. I have a problem taking in information, learning, uh, social problems. I thought I had ASD or uh, I was on the spectrum or whatever, and I've taken several tests trying to figure it out, but I think I've narrowed it down, thanks to TikTok amongst other things.
0: Okay, and and what?
1: ADHD.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I've been mentioning this a lot. So I took a test, <laughs> off the charts, ADHD. <laughs> I, I, and these I,
0: internet tests get you every time, Shane.
1: But here's the thing, I'll go through these lists of symptoms. You tell me okay. what, what you think.
0: Okay, okay.
1: All right, constant fidgeting. Yes. Being unable to wait their turn. you <laughs> like, find that? Like, what do you mean? I don't know. Like, for instance, let's say you've made a meal for the both of us and we're deciding who's going to eat first or something. And it's like, you know, nine times out of ten, and I mean no insult by it, I'm grabbing that food and shoving it for in my mouth first.
0: Yeah, but I think that's more because the lack of not great table manners, which you've improved on.
1: I know, but even with the knowledge that I had bad bad table manners, I find... Anyway, okay, let's keep going. (laughs) Okay, sleep problems. Finding Mm -hmm. it difficult to sleep at night and having irregular sleeping patterns. Big time. Dyslexia. Appearing to be unable to listen or carry out instructions. Show symptoms of anxiety, disorder, and ASD. Constantly changing activity or task. Having difficulty organizing tasks. Continually starting new tasks before finishing old ones. Poor organizational skills. Inability to focus or prioritize. Continually losing or misplacing things. Forgetfulness. Restlessness and edginess. Speaking out of turn. Blurting out responses and often interrupting others. Mood swings. Irritability and a quick temper. Inability to deal with stress. Extreme impatience.
0: Yeah, and and here's the thing too. It does mention symptoms of ASD, right? So that could make sense about why you scored on on those tests as well.
1: Yes, and okay. So then, and TikTok has a huge ADHD community. Mm-hmm. So uh, like it's thriving this community. So I stumbled across a few accounts, and this one woman I really liked. And I'm gonna play this clip from her. And she, I found this clip very like it was like a kind of a eureka moment for me. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to play it here.
2: Y'all, I think I just discovered the difference between the ADHD brain and the non-ADHD brain and why it matters. I'm working on creating a Facebook page for those that follow me. And I was writing an introductory post and I just was like, the biggest difference between a life with an ADHD brain and the life of those without the ADHD brain is that ADHD brains can only do that which they're authentically interested in. And I shared this quote and y'all resonated with it. And I want to add one more piece. Because those that don't have an ADHD brain will think there's no way you can do that. That must be nice. That's unrealistic. Like, yeah, right. You can't go through life only doing what you're interested in. To wish I discovered you are right. You can't. And that's why we're not surviving. That's why our worlds don't work. We are drowning and we're drowning in silence because our worlds only work when we're authentically interested and we're having to do a life in a world where neurotypical brains have a you just do it because it's important. We don't have that. So as a result, we drown in silence, and that's why this world and TikTok and all the things is so good to us, y'all.
1: Anyway, that was it, but I found it very revealing because this is something I always thought that I can only do something. Like w- growing up I with school and everything, I was like, I can't even bother with the school. I know it's never gonna work for me. I can only do what I want to do. And I was always wondering, how come other people can dutifully do the tasks in school And kind of manage what they want to do for fun. Whereas for me, I basically had to make what I like to do for fun my career. Or I felt like I couldn't make it in life. Mm -hmm. And I think I pinpointed it and narrowed it down that this is the reason why. And it is like a drowning feeling because you feel like, almost like you're an alien. And when you're talking to me and giving me any instructions, I cannot understand them. I cannot understand a lecture. I cannot understand a form, like when we were filling out our forms to get our vaccine, I could not read that form at all or mm-hmm. make any sense of it. I had to just give it to you, right, yeah. to, to fill out for me. So anyway, I've gotten to the bottom of it. What do you think of that? <laughs> do you think it's the classic diagnosis that anyone could say about themselves?
0: I think there are elements of that, definitely. However, I do think that there is some missing diagnosis with you whether it's asd or adhd there there is some diagnosis missing i think adhd makes a lot of sense and i i I truly do think you should just get tested because
1: i took the online test
0: (laughs) by a professional but um yeah i i do think that makes sense and i wonder had you been going to school now right like just say you were our kid i wonder if the montessori model would have worked for you better
1: it couldn't anything would have worked for me better literally the thing i was doing worked the worst yeah if you look at my transcript i have literal zeros mm-hmm. on my transcript like it's impossible to get zero in a course yeah i have multiple classes where i've got zero i failed you know home ec i failed gym uh, there is problems like yeah you know what i mean there's de- yeah. definitely problems in fact on this i realize it's an online test but the maximum score you can get is fifty-eight. I got fifty-five. If you have forty plus on this test, attention de- attention deficit disorder is highly likely.
0: Well, and this is the thing, Shane. I, I do say that maybe we schedule a Zoom meeting with a with a professional, and we just we get you for real tested because mm-hmm. I think that it's time. And honestly, and it would think, be helpful
1: to understand our children if any yeah. of them get it like how to because if i would assume this has to be genetic Mm -hmm.
0: i i think it'd be hugely helpful and then you know we could learn more about your diagnosis whatever that is and then hopefully just have things on our tool belt to deal with the fact you know if we have a child who's not neurotypical then we can deal with that better and just at least be more prepared for it yeah yeah that's that's interesting and i say let's do like schedule it tomorrow schedule it get on it
1: okay i'll schedule i'll i'll begin to but yeah I do get very overwhelmed often, and I'm hoping that I can get some. I, I actually want to go on a drug. I was watching a guy on uh, TikTok, and he was saying how this one—what's that drug people take?
0: Yeah, um, Adderall. Adderall.
1: Adderall. And it just changed this guy's life. In a good way. Yes, and I—I I feel like if I could hyper focus, I would
0: be unstoppable. See, I get so nervous about that because, uh and here, I know that it can do so much good, but I've just, I've seen it abused so much. And like, I wouldn't abuse it. Yeah. It's just, it's just, I know you wouldn't. Like, you're scared of drugs, but like, it just, it makes me nervous because I don't even think people realize sometimes when they're abusing. It. I don't know. I don't know enough but about it. But it was just,
1: the, that's, the guy talks about it. He just says, if you take too much, it's obviously, one, it's not going to be as effective for you. Mm-hmm. And two, it's going to essentially ruin your life. But that's like alcohol or yeah any drug caffeine anything it's going to like turn bad for you but i feel like maybe 20 years ago someone gave me their ritalin and for however long it lasted maybe two hours i was hyper focused and locked in and it was an amazing feeling that i had never felt before And part of ADHD is you do get super focused on things, but it Mm. can only be things you're interested in. I would like to be really focused in things that other people can focus in on when they want to. Yeah. Because I don't have that ability at all whatsoever.
0: Well, yeah, no. And this is another reason to get the diagnosis, you know, see where you can get help and what aspects of your life you can get that support in. So I think I think that's important, babe.
1: Okay, my last topic is I'm liking my one AirPod life. So, (laughs) Alex, you're welcome. Alex had uh, dropped both my AirPods in about an hour apart in time. Oh my god,
0: that was horrendous! She dropped
1: it in the lake. She was one
0: at a time, one at a time.
1: Yeah, so she dropped one of my AirPods in the lake. It broke. An hour later, she walked by the lake again, dropped the other AirPod. It just fell out of her ear while she was trying to put it in both times so it was kind of funny but also this was a christmas gift that alex got me kind of an expensive gift i was a little bummed out one of the airpods ended up coming back to life and i thought well i just have to buy new airpods and i'm like i'm going to upgrade i'm like in that moment of anger Get when something pro. happens i'm like fuck it i'm buying i'm just going to buy them and you can have the the one airpod alex <laughs> you know i was angry i've adhd I'm <laughs> And, uh, but now I've realized that having one AirPod, it's the perfect amount of volume. When I go on my walks, I can hear if my surroundings. Mm-hmm. So I'm more comfortable and I feel like I'm gonna get hit by a car less. I've actually, today while well, I was babysitting or not babysitting, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna get trouble by so many women. <laughs> I'm, I'm being the dad that I am as you're out partying irresponsibly. I'm with uh, my children. You're
0: parenting. I'm
1: parenting, as any man should be doing who has fathered children, even if you're not, you're just, you know, caretaking them. But it was easy to. I was, I split my brains into two. I was able to listen to the podcast and have a conversation with Lucy, which I know is. Going against what I said about not being able to focus <laughs> Just
0: on say that. <laughs> splitting your brain into two hyper focused.
1: But again, it was because it was something I really wanted to do, which is listen to all these podcasts with Quentin Tarantino mm-hmm. and Seth Rogen that I'd been putting off, and I really wanted to parent and play. These are two <laughs> things I really wanted to do, and I wanted to do them so bad I could do them in tandem because I was forced to only have one AirPod in. So it brought to mind this old. I'm sure you've heard this parable about the Chinese farmer, so I'm just going to read it to you.
0: (laughs) I'm sure you've heard (laughs) it. No, this
1: is a famous one. So it's like, once upon a time, there was a Chinese farmer whose horse ran away. That evening, all of his neighbors came around to commiserate. They said, we're so sorry to hear your horse has run away. That is most unfortunate. The farmer said, maybe. The next day, the horse came back, bringing seven wild horses with it. And in the evening, everybody came back and said, oh, is not lucky. What a great turn of events. You now have eight horses. The farmer said, maybe. The following day, his son tried to ride one of those horses, and while riding it, he was thrown off and broke his leg. Oh. The neighbors said, oh dear, that's too bad, and the farmer responded, maybe. The next day, the conscription officers came around to conscript people into the army, and they rejected his son because he had a broken leg. Again, all the neighbors came around and said, isn't that great? Again, he said, maybe. So it's like <laughs> this whole thing where it's like you can't define anything as good or bad because you don't know the the next domino that's going to fall. So I wanted to ask you, has there ever been anything like this AirPod situation, which seemed unfortunate, but ended up being good in the end? And no, is it a perfectly acceptable answer? No,
0: I guess, I guess, you know, the night before I was going on a family vacation in university, I was dancing and I fell off of a stage like I wasn't dancing on the stage like. For Mm -hmm. people, I was dancing on stage with people, right? Did you have relaxed
1: breath at this moment?
0: (laughs) And uh, I fell off. I'm very clumsy. And I ended up breaking my ankle and could have been terrible because we were going on a ski vacation. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you need
1: ankles that aren't broken for that. Correct.
0: And uh, then we canceled the ski vacation and went on a beach vacation in Florida instead. And got to say, that was pretty nice. Maybe. Maybe.
1: No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but yeah, you're very lucky to have parents who can go with the flow like that. If that was my parents, Wait, my
0: dad didn't care either. He was just like, "Oh, honey, that's too bad," and then we rebooked.
1: My parents, I would have been a dead
0: man. <laughs> would you have gotten in trouble?
1: There would. I would have been in so much trouble. You have no idea. I would have been just vacation might have been canceled, or I would have had to go on it. Like there would, like I would have been certainly yelled at.
0: So we'll see. I think maybe they were like in private, just like, "Oh, Alex is such a dummy," but then like to me, they probably said, "Alex, you're such a dummy," but then left it at that.
1: Yeah, I'm. I believe that. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, might have even been like hit with the belt at that age. I don't know. I would like. How old were you?
0: I was what twenty maybe when that happened.
1: Yeah, I think I was on the tail end of being still belted. No. No. No.
0: uh and now how would you react if you were the parent in that situation
1: i don't know i'm like all it's hard for me with lucy and betty to get mad at them one because betty's just one years old (laughs) (laughs) so she gets the benefit of the doubt in so many situations and lucy i don't know it's really hard for me to get angry at a kid i know like my kids and because if you grew up getting yelled at i think you maybe you fall into that but for me i've rebelled against mm-hmm.
0: it well honestly it's it just makes your life easier and happier to go with the flow and like that is one thing that i'm so glad i picked up from my parents and i mean going with the flow isn't always good for me you know it, I, I like to coast maybe a little too much in certain situations but overall i think it's a great way to be because then i think your overall happiness is just higher just because you're more willing to say just to roll with the punches and be like, all right we can make this work
1: Rolling with the punches is definitely good, but there, you know, you can do it to a fault. Yeah, of course. And as, as you said, and I definitely need a little bit more of what you have, and vice versa. I'd say so. But yeah, with kids, I'm great at not flipping out.
0: What if I made that move? Like, we're about to go on a family vacation, skiing, and then I fall off as a what, like 35 year old, mm-hmm. break my ankle again. Because I'm out with the girls having another afternoon party. And then we have to cancel the ski vacation and go beach vacation.
1: Right. I like how you're 35. Like currently you're 32, but you had to age yourself three years. (laughs) Well, just to make
0: it realistic, uh, if the girls are going skiing.
1: Oh, I see. Okay. I would, I think, here's the thing I'm such a little, I'm so annoying in reacting to little problems. That I I blow up so far out of proportion. But I'm pretty good when it's a real big calamity at playing it cool. Mm -hmm. My brain almost is like, everyone else would flip out here. So I'm not going to.
0: Yeah, but is that a big enough calamity for you to keep your cool?
1: Vacations I put on a pedestal. So Mm. I would think... I, although I hate skiing, so that would also help me be a little calmer. I'd actually be glad. <laughs> like now we get to go to a, a resort and just stay in one room because I love resorts. I know people hate them. I love a f- resort.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's do it, Shane. Let's move on to uh, Mr. Chaz.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say an all-inclusive resort. I was like, yes, let's move <laughs> there. That would be fun just to live there for like two months.
0: I could, yeah, that'd be fun.
1: Because a lot of workplaces right now, they wouldn't even notice because you could just pretend you find a bookcase in the background of your Zoom and it looks all the same.
0: Oh, you're good. And if you were somewhere, would they even care?
1: You're right. Maybe they wouldn't. I wouldn't tell them. I don't your think Instagram they'd... couldn't like rat me out.
0: Well, we've already done a good job of hiding me on vacations before.
1: It's a story for another day. <laughs> we have to get to Mr. Chaz. But before we do that, let's tell everyone who we are supported by.
0: We are supported by Mabel's Labels. Frustrated by their children's things getting lost, mixed up, and leaving home never to return, Julie Cole and three other mom friends knew they could do better than just scribbling their kids' names on some masking tape. From there, Mabel's Labels has grown into an award-winning, market-leading company loved by moms and dads and grandparents and teachers and caregivers and kids alike.
1: Wow, you made that sound like such the mouthful.
0: It is. Normally, you
1: say it so smooth.
0: Well, everybody likes it, and I'm just trying to emphasize, what a great product it is.
1: And I guess there is urgency because schools are opening up, daycares mm-hmm. are opening up and these labels are going to be flying off the shelves like hotcakes.
0: Absolutely. Even sports, right? And they do have these awesome labels that you can put in your kid's shoes and they stay put even when your kid's sweating all over them, running up and down the basketball court, soccer field, whatever it is. So their line of products features baby bottle labels, allergy and medical alert bracelets, sports labels, household labels and seasonal items like camp kits. Loose she loves them because some of her labels you know they're in the shape of hearts, hedgehogs, cherry. She can help me design them and it's so fun. And Shane and I love them because they are so durable. I'm talking laundry, dishwasher, and microwave safe. And they're 100% guaranteed. And
1: I'm always misplacing things and I have a feeling this is going to run in the family as discussed <laughs> earlier in this episode.
0: So head on over to mapleslabels.ca to start creating your very own labels and use the promo code thisfamilytree15 for 15% off your order. They deliver internationally and offer free standard shipping in Canada and in the US. Again, that's Mables Labels ca and this family tree 15
1: and now let's get to alex and mr Chaz the interview
0: so shane shane isn't here with me today um we like to interview together but we've got a three-year-old and a one year old and uh they've gotten up early from naps so you're stuck with me shane's (laughs) gotta tend to the kids and i i hope you're ready because i am so excited to have you on i came across your tiktok which you have a huge following on, like you are so popular on TikTok. And I came across that just in honestly in searching for help with behavior for myself and my three-year-old, because she, three-year-olds, they can, they go through those, you know, mood swings and things like sure. that. And, and I came across you and you are fantastic. And the way you give information is so, it's so approachable and i think that people in so many different parenting situations whether you know they have uh, generational cycles that they want to break whether they have trauma from their past whether they don't have trauma and they're just trying to be a better parent you you reach all of those people so first i just i want to commend you on that
3: thank you i am it is my vision my life's goal to help Adults truly see children and guide and trust them. You know, so often we are trying to do things with children or two children, and we're trying to guide them, but we're guiding them really in the dark because we don't understand, you know, their behavior, what their behavior is communicating, and what they're doing and why they're doing. So we're trying to guide them, but we're kind of like in the dark. So a lot of my content is about helping. Adults actually see that child. So we're not trying to guide them in the dark. And then also, once the child feels seen, they're so much more willing to be guided by us. And that's so powerful. So we're actually, it's actually really illuminating for us to act to be able to see children and help them feel seen so that we can guide them. And there is also just this. So much of you know parenting, teaching is so many of our decisions are made through fear and you know, not through fear and us not understanding, you know, child development. And sometimes we have this fear about who they are. And I want to replace that fear with trust and trusting that the child is doing the best that they can, trusting their development. Um, So that's what like a lot of my kind of content, that's kind of what my thought process Mm. is.
0: And I I really like that actually, because I think about, you know, like before I had kids when I was pregnant, so three years ago and people, and I was, I was worried, right. I'm like, ah, am I going to be a good parent? Like, I don't want to screw them up, whatever. And people are like, oh, don't worry. It's, it's very instinctive. Just trust your gut and go for it. And, you know, looking back, Yes, trust your gut for, I think, a lot of the basic stuff, especially when they're really little, like newborns, I think. But as they get older, I think my gut sometimes is telling me to react out of fear. And it gives me a, or, a fight or flight response to how my child is behaving. So I think that it, it it's not instinctual as your kids get older and even when they're little because you have to take a different approach to parenting than you might take to the rest of your life because you might not have a good approach for dealing with anything in your life. And, and I really like the way you put that because I, I, I think people, I, I guess, react out of fear and out of worry and out of, you know, being scared more frequently than they're able to step back and calm down and assess the situation rationally
3: yeah and that's not something that we were that most of us weren't taught growing up right and that's not something that we've necessarily seen or experienced and most of us experience kind of that reactivity being on the other end and that's kind of what we've learned to do is to react and to you know also in some cases to Ignore our emotions and stuff them down, as opposed to acknowledging them and learning to self-regulate, so that we can approach the situation thoughtfully, as opposed to reacting emotionally. That isn't instinctual. That's not something that you just oh, like I have feeling pushed. Like that's some that that is a skill that you have to learn, and it's also a part of the skill that I am actively trying to teach you know, parents and teachers to teach children, for them to start learning at least the very foundational skills of it, of just, you know, acknowledging their emotions, right? Mm-hmm. Of, and expressing them saying, I feel mad, or I feel angry, right? Like for a two-year-old, three-year-old, even four-year-old, that's a huge step, because it means that they have been able to look inwardly, feel that emotion, identify that emotion and then express it outwardly right and then there's other skills that definitely as they especially as they get older and as their skills develop as they learn their skills you're teaching new skills of like okay like talking about how to now you're expressing how you're feeling okay so now let's practice self-regulating that feeling when we don't want to be mad anymore. Let's practice, you know, problem solving. And like, what are the ways to solve these problems that we're having? Right. What are the ways to communicate with the other person that I'm, I'm feeling this way and how do we solve those problems? Right. Um, and so those definitely scaffold, but it's great to, you know, celebrate your two-year-old or three-year-old to saying like, I'm mad because you took the <laughs> toy from me. Like, that is maybe we're not celebrating right in the child's face yeah. because may be probably a little disrespectful the, the feeling of the feeling <laughs> of the moment, but we can internally <laughs> celebrate or you know work help them work through that you know emotion situation. And then you know we you know go to the other room like
4: yes, like
3: <laughs> they're expressing their emotions because what happens instead when we aren't practicing that skill um uh, where they don't or they don't have that skill? You see it a lot in two year olds. That's why part of the reason why biting is rampant with two-year-olds. because they have these emotions and they want to solve the problem. And the only way that they can do it a lot of times is physically, right? To physically solve problems with their body, right? Biting, pushing, scratching, spitting, like those are the skills that they have, right? And we want to teach them other ways to express their feelings. So when you feel mad, Mm -hmm. you just want to hit someone, you can express that to the other person just by acknowledging the emotion that they're feeling and and expressing it. That kind of releases some of that stress in their body. Mm -hmm. um, That is both that the other way that they release it is by hitting, or biting, or scratching.
0: Well, two-year-olds have a lot in common with, you know, the patrons that are in a bar at the end of the night for last call. You know, they're <laughs> crying. They they can't get their emotions out. They're prone to fighting, yelling, things like that. A lot in common. Still, you know, getting steady on their feet, trying to figure that out. But Chaz, I want to I want to step back a little bit because I want to find out about how you got to this point. So I know you're a teacher. Do you still work in Montessori or?
3: Yeah. So, okay, let me tell you. So I started off in Montessori as an assistant teacher and it was something that I immediately, you know, I don't think I necessarily have a natural talent for a bunch of things, (laughs) but this was one thing that I kind of felt like I had a natural talent for connecting and working with children, but I still struggled with things like conflict resolution and i understood the gravity of what i was doing helping to grow the next generation of humans but i still didn't have all the skills or understanding to you know help them work through their situations to help them learn and grow and develop and sometimes they'd be in conflict and i wouldn't know what to do or i would try something and it feels like it made it worse and Like, am I kind of like what you're saying? Like, am I ruining the next generation (laughs) of humans? Like, am I doing more harm than good um, with all the best intentions? And so I really set out to just learn. I found mentors, people, people, mentors, mentors found me, really believed in me and supported me, uh, going to trainings constantly, um, a lot of reflection every day, reflecting um, just on how things went, like think what I could have done better and trying to improve the next day. That's probably one of the biggest things that I said is most important for growth. Listening to podcasts, reading books, through this process, I kind of end up becoming the lead teacher of a Montessori teacher. Again, someone saw something in me. And at that point, I'm like, oh me? Like you want me to be? You want me to be in charge of fully in charge of these 20 little humans? they sure. Okay, I'll I'll try. But you know, people started to notice, like they would start to put the children who may have. Uh, had a hard time in other teachers classrooms right. with me and teachers started to come to me started to come to me and say, Hey, I'm struggling with this. Like, can you like, like, is there anything, any thoughts? Like I noticed that you have like a bunch of children who, you know, have a hard time sometimes and you figure out how to work with them, like share some advice casually in the break room, share some advice. And they'd come back the next day and be like, oh my goodness, Mr. Chaz, like your advice really, it changed the rest of the day for me. It helped the child, it helped me, like I need more. And that was one of the light bulbs that went off that was like, hey, I love that I'm able to make this impact with my 20 children, but if I can support and I help, other teachers make that same kind, My impact can be exponential. Right. And so I went into this position of educational specialist and, um, I've been doing that for a number of years, um, it's still in the position, but the pandemic happened. And so all of the kids went home and the teachers went home. And I, you know, I still had this itch. I need to scratch to help people to make this impact part of this positive impact and over time it, it you know my vision started to grow as i started to grow just impacting more and more people and so i started to see especially during the beginning of the pandemic how a lot of parents were really struggling because now 24 7 they were the parent the teacher the everything right all day with no with no break and I started to I was listening to a lot of the challenges that parents were having. And I was like, man, I have with all of my like training and experience that didn't, you know, it wasn't all, all always rainbows and, and, and butterflies. Um, there's some, some hard lessons that were really hard for me to learn. I could share some of that with, you know, with, with, with parents, like I can share, like, I have some insight to help. So why not?
4: Mm -hmm.
3: And so that's when I started to make the TikTok videos. And my thought process was I want to make enjoyable content that's it's it's enjoyable to consume, but also by the end of it, you feel like you learned a little something from it. Your perspective has expanded a little bit. And so that was kind of my goal and my thought process with creating the TikTok videos and that blew up. And then on Instagram. And also, too, during this time and it was kind of blowing up on TikTok, like I spent hours and hours and hours and hours of the day just on TikTok live answering questions from oh, wow. parents and from teachers to the point where I was like until like oh, I got God. hungry until I was like, hey guys, I'd <laughs> love to answer your questions for about five more hours. But I need to meet my own physical needs. Yeah. I need to grab something to eat. And so like the TikTok blew up during that time and Instagram did too and Facebook and, you know, turn it into the podcast because I wanted to give, do more than mm-hmm. just the one minute and introduce people to other professionals in the field. And then I also have the Patreon service where I provide other like coaching services. So I can be the one-on-one thing all in this pursuit to help adults truly see, guide, and trust children. Uh, and so that's kind of how I got to where I'm at.
0: no, that's that's an amazing journey. And you know, I love these pandemic stories. I feel like especially in the parenting realm, people really had the chance to blow up during the pandemic because it was a new phase of parenting that our society, the way we live in North America, a lot of places in Europe, We were not ready to handle because we live fast, we work, we send our kids off to school, to daycare, and we were not ready for that staying at home with your nuclear family constantly every single day. And it really did change parenting for a lot of people. But one thing uh, that I really love about what you talk about and how you disseminate your information, we're kind of, we'll get into that in a minute, but I have a background in education as well, although not with little kids. I I teach high school. and like little kids terrified me, Chaz, terrified me. <laughs> Until we had our own, I was like, these things are aliens, they're gross, they're walking Petri dishes, like always with runny noses and like juice around the top of their lip and everything, You know, just so yeah. gross. Yeah. And uh, I just couldn't do it. Now, <laughs> and with teenagers though, that's where I knew how to help people problem solve. And that's where I felt comfortable taking control of a situation in a in a positive not punitive way and you know really making change but with the little ones it was too chaotic for me and i had a really hard time there and what i like about like i said your videos whether you're working with little ones whether you have older kids so for our listeners that have older kids or whether you're honestly just dealing with people cuz everybody you, you often say that you know kids are they're full humans they're full humans they just have the inability to communicate with us to the degree that we have the ability to communicate. So it's it's just your lessons in communicating with people, with anybody. Everybody wants to feel heard. Everybody wants to be seen. Everybody wants, you know, their emotions to be understood. And, and I really think that that is so crucial to your teachings. And one thing that you talk about frequently that I want to get to is breaking generational cycles. So when I think of generational cycles, and correct me totally if I'm wrong, like I think of abuse, I think of like addiction, things like that. But what what are general uh, generational cycles and how do you go about helping parents to, to break those down?
3: Yeah. And those are some examples of generational cycles, but it's not always just the extremes. Sometimes, you know, uh, generational cycles are basically, you know, attitudes, ideas, ways of doing things that we pass on to our children. And we have a tendency to just pass it on unconsciously without questioning, mm-hmm. right? Most of us just do whatever our parents did to, you know, solve problems. or However we were raised is a way that we typically choose to raise children, to raise our children, unless we consciously are aware of the cycles and we decide to do something different, right? Um, so some examples can be that aren't necessarily as extreme as like abuse or addiction, but there are generational cycles about attitude towards food, right? We will, you know, I know that I grew up with, You got to finish your plate. You got to finish your plate, which is an attitude, which is something that I'm still working (laughs) through and definitely through the pandemic hurt me a little bit. Um, You know, it's what we really want to teach children to do is to, it's to know their body and to know when they're full and to know what it feels like to be full and to stop eating when they are content and they're full, right? That's a healthier way to do it. Another cycle is the You know, ignoring your feelings, you're fine, get over it, stop whining, stop crying. When that's not really an emotionally, mentally healthy way to, you know, deal with challenges or problems or emotions, right? It's actually really unhealthy. We have a tendency to, you know, because of that, suppress or run away from our emotions, which how does that show up in adulthood, right? If we can't, we don't learn to, tolerate our emotions, to recognize our emotions, to regulate them when we want to, and then to solve a problem, then anytime we have this uncomfortable emotion, then we're trying to do something with it, right? We will, let's say there is, we make a mistake, right? Then because we feel discomfort and we don't want to feel this discomfort, we'll place it on someone else just called blame. We'll we'll blame someone else because we feel this uncomfortable feeling and we don't want to feel it. And it's hard for us to tolerate. It's not something we've practiced Mm -hmm. or, and this kind of goes a little bit with the addiction thing. And I think these things can be coupled together is that, oh, I'm feeling this feeling and I don't know how to deal with it. And I've been given the message that, you know, sadness is bad. And I don't want to feel it. So I'm going to turn to substances to numb this feeling. Right. And so these are some of the examples, some examples of you know, generational cycles um, that we tend to unconsciously pass on. Um, and some people right now may be listening and be like, oh wow, like I didn't even think about that. And you know, we usually don't, right? And I I do want to stress and want to talk and a lot about, or at least some part, some part of this interview. Talk about it's not about being perfect every day, right? It's it's don't be a perfectionist, be an improvementist. The goal isn't to be perfect every day. The goal is to improve mm-hmm. a little every day, and so that's really important. As you know, when you do embark on this journey to break cycles and to grow yourself, so that you can grow and and and, you know not just you know survive and turn out fine but to help grow children who are emotionally and mentally healthy right and are, are better able to engage and interact in healthy relationships and build those healthy relationships too. I could go on and on about how these cycles show up in our adulthood. I'm going to give one more, right? Of, and kind of how we stuff down our emotions and we'll, we'll say, you know, maybe we were told the message we were told is you're fine. Get over it. Stop whining, stop crying. You know, can't you just be okay whatever we'll say all these things right and even i think parents who say this have the best of attention they're trying to help their child be happy it maybe hurts them to feel to see their child sad and upset and they feel uncomfortable because you know part of that is like i feel uncomfortable i grew up you know learn learning that uh, like emotions a range of emotions weren't okay so i feel uncomfortable while you're feeling so i'm trying to make you happy um, so a little bit, a little bit is about us and our yeah. stuff, but then they internalize this message, and then when they're in the workplace, right? And they're working, and now their 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 leader or their boss is like, "Okay, now I need you to work twelve hour days, go from eight to twelve hour days. Okay, now I need you to do take on other people's work. Okay, now and then now someone, you know, is talking to you in a way, and you feel, yeah. you know, disrespected." Okay. And you know, on top of that, other changes are happening. And you, while this is happening, you feel like upset and you can't do it, but you just feel like you have to push through it and stuff those emotions on stuff those emotions down. So one day you can't and you blow up. And you are now you're yelling about the last six months worth of stuff where and they can't even hear you and we can't even come to a solution or solve the problem because now you're so upset and you're, you know, so district cause you've held it in for so long. Right. Or it's problems that could have been fixed and now they can't be fixed yeah. as opposed to someone who is practiced and has learned to, you know, express their emotions, to acknowledge their emotions and know that emotions are just signals from your body telling you something it's data for, from your body and saying, Hey, I know that we've like, I, I noticed that I'm working 12 hour days now um, and there doesn't seem to be any kind of resolution to get me back to my eight hour days. Can we sit down and can we talk about and have a conversation, right? And talk about and and can we talk about what my needs are as an employee, as maybe a husband or a wife, as a father, as a mother, you know, I need to see my kids at a certain time. Um, So, you know, is there something we can work out and maybe you are working 12 hour days and you work it out to where it's okay. Now you're working four days a week, but you have Fridays off. And so that's your time that you can spend with your family. And now we're meeting, I'm meeting my needs as a person and the company is also able to meet their needs as a company, as a business, and then we can work together, but not, you know, stuffing down our emotions Mm -hmm. until we blow up or we stuff down our emotions and we don't blow up and we're just in this unhealthy place of being miserable and thinking that's just the way that life has to be.
0: Yeah. Well, it's It's funny you brought that scenario up because I think that so, like, upon having kids, right, and with my first kid, there wasn't a pandemic, so I was able to join parenting groups and make friends and everything, right? So, some totally missed out on this time, but the main struggle that I still communicate with these women is the fact that so many of them were told to hold in their emotions and not express themselves and how that comes out in, you know, every facet of their lives, especially their parenting and how we're all kind of it's great because we're all on the same page when it comes to how we want to parent. And that all is allowing our kids to feel so much emotion. And, you know, I kind of want to pivot back to something you said at the beginning there uh, about it's not being a perfectionist as a parent; it's being an improvementist, and that ties back to you know when you're talking about Montessori and you'd think about your day, you'd you'd reflect on your day. And I did the same thing in teachers' college. I like we had to, we had to like fill out every single day. How did we do? What situations did we handle well? What didn't we handle well? Handle well. And with kids, this is like one of my favorite things to talk about is the fact that we have to let them fail. We have to let them fail frequently. We have to let them fail you know, as much as they're going to because that's the quickest way, the quickest road to success and the quickest way that they can become resilient and become confident in themselves. And us as parents need to do that, too. I feel like so many people and this this is probably a generational thing as well. You know, the decision they make, even if it made their kid blow up, it made the whole family blow up and nobody spoke to each other for a day. That's the best thing to do because they made that decision as a parent. And I don't think enough parents go back and actually reflect on, oh, what could I have done differently and how could I have changed that? But do do you see a lot of that in when you do coaching?
3: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I definitely coach a range of people who are in a range of different places. And one of the nice benefits of doing social media is that most, if not all the people that I coach. Are familiar with my work. And so like, you know, the, you know, sometimes I even say like, oh, like I have this thought, like I'm comparing myself to like, you know, the perfect Instagram mom, but like, I know that's not, like, I know that that's not healthy. And so I'm trying to work on that. And so that's really great. And so we're able to, so then I don't have to go through the whole spiel, but we're able to kind of build off of that. And it's like, okay, so what is, You know, what is that experience like for you? Let's unpack that a little bit. You know, let's talk about celebrating your wins. Let's think about the big picture, right? And one of the analogies I make is like with the iPhone, right? So this positive parenting, gentle, progressive, conscious parenting, whatever you want to call it, is like an innovation of technology, right? It's It's like the first iPhone. I'm like, you're the first iPhone. Right. And number one, celebrate that, especially if you were raised by, you know, a family of pagers, yeah. right? Yeah.
0: This
3: is a huge leap in technology, right? And not to say that your pager parents or BlackBerry <laughs> parents were bad. They did the best they could with the tools and knowledge and information they had at the time, right?
0: Everybody loves a BlackBerry
3: everybody owns a blackberry, <laughs> everybody loves a
0: blackberry. A, well everybody loves a blackberry at one point you know better technology came and we moved on to that but I was a big blackberry fan and I like I like yeah. this because you know what we, we got to move on when something new comes on even the blackberry then has to adapt that technology
3: and the important part about this is and where I'm going with this is that the iPhone also great right great for its time but it's not the last iteration of it and you're, we're going, your children are going to be able to build off of what you, of all the growth that you've been able to have during your parenting journey. And they're going to be able to grow. And now they're going to be maybe iPhone fives or whatever, right. They're going to be able to build off of that. And so, and I think that's important to like say and acknowledge because, you know, there is no mountaintop. There is no destination of just, oh, I'm just this peaceful, nirvana, perfect, transcendent parents who never yells or gets frustrated. Everything is perfect. It doesn't exist. Like that isn't even, that's not even a goal, right? It's just to improve and grow as much as you can so that your children are able to take those lessons and maybe they have a little, they have less cycles to break. And then they're able to build off of that for their children and their children's children. One thing that it's important to recognize. And that just, I just feel like is really powerful is that when you're raising your children, you're raising your children's children. And so just like we are kind of programmed with the way that we were raised, and we're kind of rewiring some of that stuff and updating our uh, software, so to speak, our children will be able to benefit from that. And then they will also be able to even improve their software as they get older and grow and build. So don't be a perfectionist, be an improvementist.
0: I love that. All right, Chaz, we're just going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We are supported by the Miku Pro smart baby monitor. This is the most accurate sleep and breathing monitor of all time.
1: It's the Michael Jordan or LeBron James depending on whoever you think is the better basketball player of monitors.
0: It's the Ferrari of monitors. So the monitor is making zero physical contact with your baby because they use a military grade sensor fusion technology. And it works with your smartphone to alert you of changes to your baby's vitals and nursery conditions. So it is so nice because, you know, when I had Betty as a newborn, I could just look at the monitor to see that she was breathing. It brought me so much peace of mind. And I was able to actually sleep so much better in this postpartum period than I was with Lucy.
1: Breathing is so important for children. (laughs) (laughs)
0: You heard it here first. Next thing I love, they use crypto security, which essentially means no hacking. If you go online and start looking up Wi-Fi monitors, you'll see people concerned about the fact that people can and have hacked into them.
1: I wasn't concerned until you just said that, but yeah, (laughs) I am glad to know they're not going to be hacked.
0: Of course, well, that that's, yeah, of course, not a problem with the Miku Pro Smart Baby Monitor. And they offer HD video and photo and amazing night vision. Like, you could see your baby so well. There's also custom dual Ole Wolf speakers and a two-way microphone, which means that Miku not only plays original sleep sounds and lullabies, but it allows you to talk to and comfort your baby.
1: Impressive.
0: So head on over to MikuCare.com and use the promo code FamilyTree10 for 10% off. This is available in the U.S. only. And again, that is MikuCare.com FamilyTree10. No other monitor is a Miku.
1: But we are also supported by...
0: MiniMiosh. Mini Miosh is a premium, organic, ethically made and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. They believe in quality over quantity and they make the best basics for your littles. I'm talking fashionable wardrobe staples that are soft, comfy and timeless and can be passed from child to child regardless of gender.
1: It's true. And Betty's definitely going to be getting a whole heap load from Lou (laughs) because I swear it's all Lucy has. They said quality over quantity, but we have so much. So we have quantity and quality on our hands.
0: No, it it really is an incredible company. And their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes. They're on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it, and they believe that every little bit counts. You can find the company online at Minimiosh.com or at Minimiosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code ThisFamilyTree15, you will get 15% off your entire order. This is available in Canada and in the U.S. And again, that is Minimiosh.com and ThisFamilyTree15.
1: It truly is the best.
0: All right, and let's get back to our interview with Chaz. I love that. And honestly, I've never thought about it like you're raising your children's children. And that is powerful. And, you know, again, just goes back to generational cycles. Like, do you want cycles to continue with you or do you want to break them and start a new, hopefully more positive cycle? And I think that's so crucial. And Okay. So I want to I put ourselves in a place now and I'm going to go to you for advice, all right. Because what I love that you do too, that I find helpful, is uh, you do um, what stitches like f- through TikTok with people who are putting up a parenting thing. Like you did one. Oh my god, it made me cry. The one with the gender reveal and the girl popping the balloon. Then she threw the thing. She threw a needle. Her mom like hit her and got mad at her in front of people. Another one with a kid running sprints because they didn't do what their parent wanted to do. I didn't even watch the original TikTok in full because I just. I'm so emotional. I'm still breastfeeding and my hormones are all over the place. So I couldn't even watch that when I'm full. But when it comes to, you know, that kind of punitive parenting, and if you're somebody who does that, right? And like listeners, like no shame, no judgment. A lot of us are that way because like you said, Chaz, like we were brought up that way. We don't know another way to do it. So how can we go about, if we're one of those parents that's like, all right, kid, you're running sprints, or I yell at my toddler in front of everybody, even though she's just having her own emotional reaction. Like, How do you go about taking a punitive parent and helping them learn a more positive way to react?
3: I am a big believer, because uh, I get this kind of question a lot. I'm a big believer that that's, that's not something that I can externally force someone to do to take that journey that journey is your journey. And it the, one of the hardest, I think one of the hardest steps is deciding is that first step of, Hey, I want to do something different. Mm-hmm. I don't want to just do things the way that I was raised. I want to do something different. And that's a hard step to make. And, you know, I am grateful that I've, you know, I've gotten many messages that people share that, some of my videos have sparked that and have helped them to decide to break a cycle, uh, whether it's you know to stop hitting or to be more mindful or to avoid shaming or a lot of other things too. But I don't spend a lot of my time trying to force and get people to, to start doing gentle, positive, conscious, whatever parenting. I think that's something that you have to be ready for, and I think sometimes a video might hit you on the right day where you're feeling the you know the right feelings, where you're open to it, and it might even trigger up something that in your like childhood, and like, hey, you know what, like that actually didn't help. That you know this is actually making sense. Now, once you do that, once you make that decision of okay, I'm going to do something different. I have so much help for you. There's so much, there's so much to do and there's so much real work there. And, you know, it's challenging too. And so this is, these are some things, this is what I would say if you are newly embarking on the journey or even maybe you're a year, two years, five years deep into it. One thing is immersing yourself in an environment of people who are, talking about these, this different approach, perspective, strategies, tools to use. Right. And a lot of people don't have that environment physically around them. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people I talk to is like, my family completely disagrees. They say, just hit them when they're not listening or they're not, you know, doing what you want them to do. And that makes it even harder for me because now I have the voices in my head. Right. It, you know, get new voices into your environment. And social media is one great way to do that. Uh, there are people that I, you know, talk to, this is like, I only get on Instagram for the educational learning content. And how beautiful is it that we live in a world where you can go on this free app and you can follow. All of teachers from around the world, and you can curate your own feed to teachers that you want to, you know, learn from um, and listen to, mm-hmm. and that's something you can curate. And there's an algorithm built that is working very hard uh, <laughs> to figure out what you need and what you want um, and what's going to be you know helpful for you in that moment in that day. And they're actively trying to send it to you all the time. I will get people who uh, say like, I'm in the video. I'm talking about like yelling or something I'm like, oh man, how did you know? Like I was just yelling at my child Or like, I mean, one video where I got a lot of that, where it's like, uh, I think I said, wait, remember before you, and these, these are the exact words before you yell at your child for making a mess, remember. A physical mess is easier to clean up than an emotional one, right? And a lot of people came on the videos like, oh, man, like, perfect reminder. We're about to clean up or ah mess this up today. And that's fine, right? Improving this mindset. But also podcasts, too, uh, especially for that long-form content so you can get that deeper dive. You know, conferences, right? There are a lot of free virtual conferences, one that's about to... I don't know this when this is going to air, but I'm, I'm a part of one that's happening next week where there are, you know, I think there's like 25 different professionals in the field uh, with like hour-long interviews that you can dive in. This information has never been more accessible in human history. Mm-hmm. And we've never, this is a very unique time, especially kind of, during post pandemic, a lot of so much information has gone online, kind of to your point earlier about just, you know, with, you know, parenting has kind of gotten a lot more attention, a lot more people are on there sharing information. And so that's, so that's one part of it, immersing yourself in that environment. Um, The other thing that's really important is to recognize your triggers. A lot of times our reactions are unconscious, You know, especially if you have any kind of trauma, trauma stored in the body, right? So it's not just a brain thing. It's a body thing and the brain's part of the body. And they're very connected, but it is stored in the body. So learning about what your triggers are, what typically triggers you. And so you can be conscious of it so that you can, Uh you know, practice regulating um, yourself so that you can say mantras to yourself, um, you know, take that moment to step away if you can you know, this this is part of strategies that people will talk about, but that's a a, a piece that is, I think sometimes people can have all the scripts and all the knowledge in the world, but it's that emotional unconscious piece that is really driving the reactions, um, which we're trying to work through. And so those are just some uh, suggestions on how to break the cycle. If you're embarking on the journey and you're looking to break the cycle. And of course too, like if you're in a position, if you can to reach out to professionals and work with professional to do one-on-one kind of coaching stuff, that's really beneficial too, because as great as social media and podcasts and all this stuff is children and people are so complex and there's such an array of situations. And sometimes it's hard to kind of translate a general idea to a specific situation. And so that's where you know, working with a professional one-on-one so that you can you can they can they can speak to you and your household and your culture, your traditions, and your child with their temperament and help you work through some of those things.
0: Mm -hmm. And you know, a lot of these things, like I man, I think the the situation I get in most as a parent is when my three year old gets jealous of or isn't being understood or wants more attention and then lashes out on the baby, on the one-year-old. And she'll hit her or she'll snatch a a toy really hard or something like that. And we've gotten so much better at handling this and like, To the point where now Lucy will just go, Mommy, you made me sad. Daddy, you made me sad. Now I'm sad. And she'll go and tell the whole neighborhood how we made her sad and everything like that. So she's really good at expressing and identifying her emotions to a fault. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) I find that you know, when she does that and when the one-year-old is in the situation too and it's not just Lucy, my three-year-old, that's when I will... I'll shout. I w- I'll be like, just because I don't want the, the little one to get hurt. And then I'll kind of step back and try to assess the situation. But that that is hard sometimes. And it's hard for me to empathize with my toddler's emotions because I'm just so concerned about the baby and about everybody being okay. So if you could just, you know, kind of lay out for me, what are the stages of empathy and like, how does that relate to parenting?
3: Yeah. Yeah, man. So you said a lot there. I could give a very, I'll try to make it as concise as possible (laughs) because I like, even just like hearing it's like, I want to help you. Like, ah, there, you know, even in as I'm, before I even answer the stages to empathy, you know, sometimes a simple, uh, shift in language and how we're thinking of it can make all the difference in how we feel about what's happening. And Mm -hmm and help us make more uh, decisions that more thoughtful decisions that are helpful. So like, you know, a lot of times we'll say like, ah, this attention seeking behavior, sometimes switching it to connection seeking behavior and realizing that the child is really just looking for connection as we all do can shift how we feel about it and can sometimes help us be in a better place to respond as opposed to react that's one little tidbit. Now I'll turn on the stages of empathy. It's a great question because a lot of times we will have these super big like concerns for your example, right? Like, ah, like Lucy's hitting like her younger sister, like, and she feels no remorse for it. Like <laughs> she's going to grow up and she's going to be a psychopath. Like Dr. I know Evil. what else <laughs> good. Yeah. Right. And so like, yeah, so let's kind of lay it out at one years old. They are kind of like the first year of life. And this is general, Um, you know, development is not exactly by the year. Every child, every person develops differently at a different pace and not to even just say slow or fast, but like in different areas, one child might be advanced physically, but delayed cognitively or advanced socially, emotionally, but advanced cognitively. So caveat there. Now, in the first year of life, children are infants are able to kind of feel the emotions of other people, kind of feel in the room, like another another baby cries, they may start crying, right? Um, your anxiousness, or you're really anxious about it, about something, or maybe even trying to get them to go to sleep and you're really anxious <laughs> and your body's not calm, you know, they may, you know, feel that and may make it a little bit harder for them to go to sleep. And anyone who's worked with infants in like a childcare setting, 100% knows this to be true. And you know, when one infant starts crying, it's like ah, then they all start crying, and it's like almost like an alarm setting off all the other alarms. And so that's the first year of life. Now, around after the first year to around the sixth year of life they're able to talk about, they're able to do things to try to help other people with their emotions, but they'll have a hard time really knowing and processing if what they're doing is helping. And Mm -hmm. kind of like in a common example is like, you'll see the toddler give a toy to a crying baby, or maybe, you know, try to give them a hug. A lot of times they'll do will try to give comfort the way that they've received comfort. It's very egocentric. It's about like, well, I would like this, so <laughs> you would like it, right? Now at six, uh, that's kind of around kind of like six to nine-ish, six to nine-ish. They're able to actually start doing things that is helpful for another person and recognizing it's helpful. I don't know if anyone saw a super viral video and people tagged me in it a bunch. I don't know if you saw the six-year-old trying to like calm his brother down. He was breathing. Wait, wait. And you could tell that he was not only trying to calm his brother down, but he was also looking at him for cues to see if it was working and trying to help him work through it. Oh, man. Right. And it's also important to note as I'm talking about this, I'm talking about capacity. I'm not talking about necessarily ability. Mm -hmm. And the difference in that is just the the capacity in their brain to potentially be able to do it for ability, for them to have the ability. A lot of times it takes us to, we can help them develop. Mm -hmm. A lot of children will kind of get it just Kind of naturally without a lot of work but there are things that we can do to help them develop these skills these empathetic skills and seeing how the other person's feeling you know now they talking about doing perspective taking and talking about other people's facial expressions and what they mean and you know even during books or shows they're watching talking about how other characters may feel you can kind of help develop that and also hugest part of helping to develop empathy is modeling it and showing them empathy and allowing them to experience it, right? There are a lot of people walking around, a lot of adults I hear walking around with the empathetic skills of what a six, seven or eight year old man, (laughs) right? Yeah. And, you know, some people will call that emotionally you know emotionally immature adults emotionally immature parents you know there are a lot of books on it but it's important to recognize that capacity and ability are different and your ability is also impacted by what's happening mm-hmm. in that in your state in that moment right it may you may not have the ability to be empathetic if all of your resources in your body are going to protect going to protect yourself to defend yourself because this adult is berating you for making this developmental mistake where you hit because you didn't have the words mm-hmm. to you know to solve that problem you didn't have the problem solving skills and so what we as adults have a tendency to do is to come why did you do that you know better you know she's little you know will come come at children and it comes from our Dysregulated place, and us not regulating in the moment and acknowledging our triggers. And I get it, like because that's one of my, like one of my triggers too, is when a child hurts another child and I perceive the child not to have any remorse. Yeah, right. That is something that I had to work on because that would trigger me more than a lot of other things, and I would tend to overreact. I completely get it and being in that place but that doesn't change how that is impacting the child. And they're gonna be less likely to be empathetic for that situation if they're there trying to defend themselves. Um, they using all the resources to defend themselves or they feel uncomfortable, so they're placing blame on something else as opposed to taking accountability, apologizing, and, and trying to make it better and being empathetic. Yeah. Um, and now nine, and, to, nine to like 11 they they have the capacity to have empathy for people that they've never met right. that they don't have experience with kind of like you know like they kind of empathy for people who are hungry in other places of the world and you know you know poverty and world hunger and war and all that stuff they have the capacity to have empathy for those kind of situa- those kind of situations um and so that is kind of the development of the different kind of stages of empathetic development
0: Yeah. No, that's that's awesome. And, you know, thinking about like what we were talking about earlier, parenting out of fear and it's like, you know, you perceive this kid to have no remorse and you lose your temper for a minute because you think they have no remorse and you're scared of them, like you said, growing up to be a psycho killer, which – We've all seen Criminal Minds and crap like that on YouTube and, you know, Netflix. We don't want that to happen to our kid. So it's coming from that place, but it's not the most productive place to parent from. And it really does send our kid into a defensive mode, which, you know, is not helpful for us. It's not helpful for the kid. It's going to probably cause them to lie to us and, you know, just shy away from actually having conversations with us. And it, it blocks that communication.
3: Yeah, and when you're having to defend yourself, that's a different part of the brain. When you're kind of when you're in defense, especially from someone that you love and someone that you depend on from love, like that hits a primal part of us that sends us that can send us to the fight or flight. And once we're, when we're in that place, it's going to be really hard to access any logic and reasoning because all the resources are in the bottom part of your brain trying to protect yourself. And the reason why it can be so triggering when we're doing things like shaming children or shaming people and they're defensive, and this is also important for adults and parents, and like, hey, like kind of almost to your earlier question of how do we get, maybe how do we get people on board or kind of break the generational cycles? Shaming them is not the answer. That's not going to help them be open to learning something new because they're going to spend all their time defending themselves and it's going to be me against you. And I'm probably a little even dig their heels in deeper into whatever they're, you know, believing to protect themselves. Because, you know, if we don't have this feeling of belongingness of to the group, you know, our 200,000. Plus, your old brain processes that is like, I'm we're ostracized, ostracized from the group, then we won't survive, we're gonna die, right? And so, that's why it hits such a primal part in us when you know when we're being shamed, um, or when a child is being shamed and mm. they're kind of feeling like they have to defend themselves, they don't feel connected to the group or the parent, they're feel like, feeling like, and that's why you know the, whenever this word gets thrown out, I feel like I really need to have a whole podcast (laughs) um, about this, but that's why I recommend other strategies other than a timeout, right? Because it can put that child in a place. And just because you change a behavior doesn't mean you solve the problem. And that's huge. I'm going to say that again, because I don't think, like, I think that is, like, that is what I just said is is the most underrated thing that I've probably said in this whole thing. Just because you change the behavior doesn't mean solve the problem. And let me, if you allow me to go a little bit deeper into that.
0: Oh, Chaz, go go for it. Go for it. I'm learning lots. Okay.
3: (laughs) Okay. So let's say... Child is jumping on the couch. And i want to connect this, trying to connect to everything I've said in this. Right. So let's say the child's jumping on the couch. And we're like, oh, H, no. I know he's not jumping on my couch. You need to stop jumping on my couch. I told you to stop jumping on the couch. Child sits down. Likely after a couple minutes or a couple seconds, child's back up jumping on the couch, right? So we're like, okay, I don't think you heard me. Now I'm gonna get even bigger and I'm gonna threaten things. I'm gonna take away your tablet or I'm gonna put you in your room or I'm gonna, you're not gonna be over the side or go outside or no dessert for you, whatever threat coercion we come up with um, to try to control their behavior, right? Let's say they're like, oh, that's scary. I really don't want to get my tablet taken away. I'm going to sit down. So you change the behavior there and you think, ah, I've won. I've won the battle. But really, we're losing the war. And so let's think about long term, right? And what's what's really happening? is communication, behaviors communication, behaviors communication. The child is is feeling these huge signals in their body to move, to jump, physical activity. And by the way, the CDC recommends that children five and younger are active throughout the day, right? Children have this internal need to, to, to move and to be physical, and it's important for their development too. You know, it's... You know, that two-year-old, and I always say that children intuitively know, especially young children, intuitively know everything they need to do for the bodies and brains to grow. Mm-hmm. That two-year-old knows that they need to climb for their gross motor development to develop, and even their fine motor uh, development to, to develop because they're using their little muscles to climb and to grip onto things, right? Which is going to help for pre-writing skills and other practical life skills, and right? So intuitively, that two-year-old knows that they need to climb. However, they don't really know how to do it in this world that we created for them. So they're maybe climbing on the glass table or the oven. And so they need help to knowing where to climb, and where it is appropriate to meet that need. Mm -hmm. Right. So back to the child jumping on the couch and jumping on the couch. Now, the child, we've won the battle. And let's say, again, we're sending them the messages again, like, you know, ignore your feelings, ignore your feelings, you know, it's not okay to have these feelings, ignore them, ignore them. That's the message that they're going to have that is going to be internalized. And now I didn't bring up, now they're in a relationship, right? And something the other person did bothered them, rubbed them the wrong way. They felt was disrespectful or whatever it was they stop it down mm-hmm. and they ignore that, they ignore how they're feeling and they don't find a way to you know, regulate, have a conversation and kind of figure out how to solve the problem, kind of meet their needs. Right. Um, and so now again, kind of with the work situation, the person's being, now they're being passive aggressive in little situations, and they're saying little things and other person's like, well, what's <laughs> their problem. Right. And it, maybe one night you're, you know, you guys are, 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 are drinking together and then, and now you feel it all comes out and maybe not in the best way. And it's, and now you guys are at odds and it's, and it's harming your relationship as opposed to going back to the couch, acknowledging, Hey, you have this feeling in your body. You, you have, you seem, it looks like you have a lot of energy,
2: mm-hmm. right? It
3: looks like you want to jump and move around. Your body looks like it's telling you to move around and jump. Let's, so let's have a dance party, or let's jump on this little mini trampoline, or let's go outside, or let's play the floor is lava, or let's do this little Taibo exercise, exercise together, whatever it is, whatever works for your situation, your household Mm -hmm. of meeting that need. And the message there that you're sending them is that, hey, your body's sending you signals and it's giving you information. Mm -hmm. I'm sensitive and I'm aware of that. I want you to be aware of the feelings in your body. And I want you to know how, what to do with those feelings in your body. What's the appropriate way to meet your needs, right? Uh, and so now the child is not only meeting their needs and you're also getting less frustrated and not having to threat because you're helping them meet their needs and everyone feels better about it. But now through this interaction and all of the other interactions where you're identifying how they're feeling and, their needs and you're helping them meet their needs and you're teaching them to meet their needs. Now, when they're in the relationship and they get a signal from their body and they feel uncomfortable about something, now they feel comfortable enough like, hey, I'm feeling this way to have a conversation about mm-hmm. it, right? Before it's stuffed in, and the passive aggressiveness things happen and, you know, we're lashing out, right? Now I'm able to, now I, now I am able to advocate for myself more because I know my body, I'm aware of, you know, what I need and I can try to meet my need in more appropriate ways as opposed to just ignoring them, mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: And that then doing those things, like you said, then will change the underlying causes and the underlying just the way of our the foundations of our parenting, I guess, as well as changing the behavior. And that is what we want to that's what we want to strive for. And that's all that's the improvenest way of thinking. And yeah, and I really love that. And Chaz, I so appreciate all of your time today. You know, I feel like we could sit here for another two hours, but. We will wrap it up so that I could send you on your way to enjoy your day. But before I do, where can listeners find your podcast, find your courses, everything you're involved in?
3: Cool. Yes. So I'm on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, on all podcasting platforms, and I offer coaching services. So my name on Instagram is Mr. Chaz. It's, it's, it's Mr. Chaz on TikTok It's Mr. Chaz, Mr. Chaz, no space on Facebook. It's Mr. Chaz space, Mr. Chaz on my, my podcast is Mr. Chaz's parenting or yeah. Parenting and leadership and teaching podcast. Actually, I think is Mr. Chaz's leadership, parenting and teaching podcast. <laughs> and then my Patreon where you get access to one-on-one coaching with me and also be a part of these conversations where I bring on professionals is www.patreon.com forward slash Mr. Chass.
0: Amazing. Amazing. And truly, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. I think that you helped uh, for me and no doubt for listeners just illuminate the root cause of a lot of our parenting, our parenting blocks and our parenting problems. So thank you so much. That was so much fun and have a great rest of your week. Yes,
3: you have a great day too. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Nice meeting you. See ya.
3: Good job, Alex. Thank
0: you. He was so great. He was so easy to talk to. And I love, as I said in the interview, I love how he presents information and presents problems and problem solving. He's so approachable. And he does it in such an amazing way. And he did that in the interview. I I really enjoyed that.
1: Yeah, he definitely has that good, positive energy.
0: That he does. Yeah, no, he he carried that through, and I love that conversation, so hope you all took something out of that. But let's get to our next interview with Jessica Warnock. Wait,
1: wait who is this Jessica Warnock character? Well,
0: she's a friend of mine, so we met oh, in right. yes, the yes. mom group when our babies were, like, not even one. We were The on mom Matt Lee, group? The mom group, and yeah, our babies weren't even one year old, and we became friends, we do coffee dates as part of this big group, and... In our mom text group right now, Jessie always comes through with the most, you know, somebody will pose a problem or something, and she comes through with the most thoughtful and nuanced advice always, no matter the situation. And I have appreciated my friendship with her, even though, like, I haven't hung out with her in two years. But even just through texting and Instagram chat groups, I so appreciate Being friends with somebody that is so intelligent.
1: Okay. Well, before we get to this interview with Jesse Warnock, Mm -hmm. let's let everyone know who we are supported by.
0: We are supported by My Breast Friend. My Breast Friend is the number one choice of nursing pillow for millions of parents around the world who nurse their babies. For more than 25 years, My Breast Friend's patented wraparound design has supported people in over 40 countries and thousands of birthing hospitals to support successful nursing.
1: The spelling is B-R-E-S-T on breast.
0: B R E S T, no A. Lactation consultants around the world credit the pillow for helping parents achieve longer and more comfortable feeding cycles than they even thought possible. Shane and I can attest to this. We loved the pillow. It is so comfortable. It is so supportive. The baby gets so snug in it. You know, they have like a water bottle holder you could throw your phone in there. It's it's really got it all.
1: You put anything you want. I wear it sometimes even without the child. <laughs>
0: It's simply the best, most supportive choice for successful breastfeeding. You can purchase my breast friend online at byebyebaby.com, target.com, walmart.com, babylist.com, and amazon.com. And now let's get to our interview with Jessica Warnock. Jesse, this is all to say thank you so much for sitting down with me today. First of all, it's just nice to see you. We used to hang when we had babies at the same time when you were in Hamilton in our area, and you have been on the podcast before. Uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic to help us get through that and help busy parents, you know, manage their stress during the pandemic. So, so happy that you are here again. I had a request from a listener uh, with no children, and she wants children. She wants to start a family, and she has uh, a severe mental health diagnosis. And she said, Alex, it would be so great if you guys could speak to somebody with a background in this. So Jesse, what do you do with parents with mental health diagnoses, you know, day to day?
4: Yeah. So I work with, I guess, both sides. So I work with families and parents when their child is presenting with mental health or behavioral issues or other kinds of things that they want to work on. And then I also work with parents, mostly moms, but also dads and a lot of couples around mental health or just wellness as it arises in the parenting journey, because there's nothing like having a little human to mirror all of your stuff to you to be evocative. Right. And then never mind what we're at, how we're asked to parent right now. And then I think in our generation as well, we're not meant, we're not designed to be doing this. Like in a family of four alone, we're meant to be in tribes and communities. And so that, as another layer, yeah. So how how I work with people is very individual, um, and we could get into some you know some specifics. Um, when I work with parents around their child's well being, what we're mostly doing is working with the parent and looking at the places where they get blocked.
0: Yeah, what do you mean by blocked? So
4: that's a very, like, in, a, in emotion-focused therapy, that's a very specific term we use. We call it, we call it a, a block. But a block could be a block or it could be a guardian angel. Basically, it's a kind of way of being with your child, but it also usually will show up in other parts of your life where at one point it served you and then it stopped serving you. So, for example, it might be what we call, like, the ostrich, of parenting where you kind of put your head on the ground and you pretend everything's fine and it's all good. At one time, you probably developed that coping because it helped you when you didn't have resources to feel or to look or to cope differently, usually in childhood when we feel kind of impaired. Another one would be, this is more my style, the kangaroo, right, where you kind of like you see your child in distress and you pick them up and you sort of put them in your kangaroo pouch and you're like, not a bad thing will happen to you. (laughs) And that's, again, being like the nurturer, protector, sort of fixer, a behavior that I learned as a young person that helped me make friends, survive, be a good teacher, be a good therapist, all those things. But when I think about my daughter, what is that telling her? If I'm, every time I she's in a hard time, I'm picking her up and putting her in my kangaroo pouch and saying, you can't do hard things. You need me to fix this for you. You can't have your feelings, all of this. Another one would be something we sometimes call the bull. And this is the parent who kind of gets like, this is probably more like my partner, (laughs) disclosing that, who kind of like gets into the situation and can be a bit like, it's this way and it's not now and bit forceful and their way or the highway. Again, behavior that we learned that worked for us, but doesn't always meet our child's needs. So when we're looking at a block, we're looking at those behaviors, tendencies that are largely unconscious, that evolved before our child was even like a glimmer in our eye. And that when, and we don't parent in that way all the time, but when we're stressed or when our child is stressed or emotional, we often will move into those behavioral tendencies. And so the block work is figuring out what are the places where I'm not showing up for my kid in the way that they need me, and what's that about, and where does that come from in my own history. So we work that way and then in terms of you know mental health just for parents in general i think doing our own work is the greatest gift we can give our children we know that children are very narcissistic and i don't mean that i don't mean that in a bad way it's totally normal it's about mentally right like if you think about a grade one classroom if a teacher stops into that classroom every little kid in that room is thinking "Hmm, i did something bad my teacher is bad at me Right? Absolutely. Children just personalize everything. They don't have the brain capacity until they're much older into adolescence and beyond. We continue to develop this in our twenties to be able to what we call perspective take I'm like, oh, that person might be feeling this way because they cannot do that. So if mommy's stressed, if daddy's stressed, if grandpa's angry, if grandma is distant and not available, mm-hmm. then what what will happen? is that the child will take that arm and they will say, it's it's because of me. I did it. So the greatest gift we can give our child is to take care of ourselves so that, not that we don't have hard days, because we will. Mm -hmm. We will lose our temper. We will get upset. We will be distant. But that we have the language and the tools to process that, talk that through with them. And also, hopefully, it happens less so that they don't internalize that and then carry that Mm -hmm. in their little. Thank
0: you. Well, it, it's funny thinking about kids being narcissistic because, you know, I think about parents being narcissistic too. Okay. And like when you describe those parenting styles, those could all be narcissistic in a way, you know, whether it's like my way or the highway or you need me to protect you from these things. Like those are very kind of solipsistic ways to view your child, parenting, the world, everything like that. And I mean- I get caught up in that too, you know. I think, oh, like, I'm her entire life right now. I need to be here to make sure she succeeds in this way and that way. And am I doing enough? And I think that's so common for parents to experience that. And that causes such a burden, like, such a burden on parents. And, you know, my first brush with any mental health anything uh, was when I had postpartum anxiety after I had my first, after I had Lucy. And that knocked me on my ass. And then since then, you know, like after breastfeeding Lucy, I went through another bout of like e- emotional just distress. <laughs> and that was hard. And I've since been medicated uh, for my lupus on a really uh, mood-changing steroid that impacted my mental oh, health. steroids can
4: be wild, yeah.
0: Awful. Like, Jess, I've never had uh, thoughts of – Like self-harm or anything like that before. This steroid brought my mind there briefly. It was very fleeting, but brought my mind in that, you know, dark region. And and that is so terrifying. And I think about parents who, or people who are dealing with this on a day to day. And I'm curious, who do you see more frequently? Because I'm curious if, you know, one group would be more apt to getting, seeking therapy than another. But are you seeing, you know, people who are developing mental health issues or having these first brushes like I did when they are already parents or when they become parents? Or do you most frequently see people who have been dealing with mental health illness their whole life? Both.
4: I mean, I think like mental health and wellness exist on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. Same, Same with diagnoses, right? Like we can talk about like someone has OCD or someone is depressed. But the truth is that We can all be like, have a week where we're like, you know, 25% depressed. Yeah. Right. We might not fit, we might not fit the DSM and say like, we, we know we need a diagnosis.
0: Wait, what's the DSM? Uh, The
4: Diagnostic Statistics Manual. It's just basically how people get it. Like if you went to your doctor and they were like, okay, yes, you're, you fitting these criteria for depression. Therefore I'm going to prescribe you Prozac or Mm -hmm. Cerebral or whatever. Yeah. So we all exist on that spectrum. And, and I, you know, there's a really good question that is kind of like really in the popular culture right now that came out of like Prince Harry's, like all of his stuff that he's doing, which is questionable. Like not questionable. Like maybe there's, there's some things there. I wonder about Megan Markle a little bit, um, but, uh, but, but it's like, it's not, it's not like, what do you have? It's like, what happened to you? Right, and and what the what the research and what where mental health is moving now is is that most of these things, I mean, certainly there are biological imperatives like depression and anxiety mm-hmm. run in my. I'm likely to have that. I have had bouts of that throughout my life. My children are likely to have that. Have experiences with that, but the experiences that we have turn on mm-hmm. those things. It's not just something that lives inside of you and i think that the parenting experience in terms of finding your partner in terms of finding your tribe in terms of all of those things can awaken that so i would say both right so there are yeah for sure people who you know i've i know and have worked with who will say like i've had a mental health issue and i'm i'm pregnant and therefore i want to, i know with the hormones and all the things like i want to be really attuned and careful and so i'm going to be going to kind of continue my work. And then there are other people who have never done counseling before, or they've done counseling for something very specific, like working through a family issue Mm -hmm. or something like that. And then they have a child or traumatic birth or have to work through stuff with their partner or have a child with very challenging, you know, emotional needs, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. behavioral needs, um, temperament, maybe a child who gets sick a lot or, who, yeah, is like a Velcro baby. Sometimes we say those sort of things. And then, yeah, so it's
0: both. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you mentioned that, you know, having gone through bouts of mental health issues or mental illness, you know, you're expecting your children to have a brush with that at some point in their lives as well. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that it's so good to have that mindset because I think a lot of the older generation, uh, you know, our parents, our parents' parents, It, to them, and it still is, it's still hard for them to approach mental health issues. I recently ran into a woman who I've known for decades and her husband unfortunately passed and he was a wonderful man. And she was telling me that she always felt that depression was not a thing. And you just smile through it and like, you know, you're responsible for your feelings. But now she understands it and she feels, you know, she had a family member who was depressed and she feels like she was, you know, hard on them. And her experience has made her more empathetic. But it's difficult because she does come from that generation. And to understand that, well, you know what, our kids might deal with this. This isn't something we can just protect them from, tell them to smile through, and that can be a challenging thought. And one of the listeners that I was speaking to that asked me to speak on this topic, she is grappling with the idea of having children. She wants children. And you know, I kind of brought this up to you and we said, this This is very specific to the individual, but she's grappling with the idea of having kids and possibly passing on uh, mental health illness onto her children. So if somebody is grappling with that issue, and grappling with their own, you know, ethics is how she described it. What should they do? Should they be talking to their therapist, the partner? Like, how can they kind of work through how they feel about that?
4: Yeah. I mean, I think that's real. That's real. We pass on all different kinds of things to our children. And there's Mm -hmm. so much research also right now about what we call epigenetics, right? So our hair, our children inherit, our eye color and our hair color and certain things about our temperament or our tone, all of those sort of things. But they also inherit genes that may or may not turn on. And that's really what epigenetics are. So epigenetics are this idea that, you know, for example, we know that up to five generations, if we look at folks who say survived the Holocaust, that certain there are certain genetic markers. Our genes change when we go through hard things. So if we have a traumatic experience, a traumatic health issue, traumatic mental health issue that can impact our genome and actually change our genetics because our bodies are in that present moment adapting to the environment and building up genes to help us survive, which is so cool. We used to think that you were born and it was mm-hmm. like, <laughs> done deal, but yeah. it's not the case. Wow. So our children will inherit genes from us, but that doesn't necessarily mean that those genes are gonna turn on. So what we know is, for example, certain genes around trauma, certain coping strategies, certain illnesses, for example, will not turn on if that child receives love, good nurturing, affirmation, validation, healthy attachment, opportunities to feel connected in their community, all of those like sleep, healthy food. All those basic things can actually mean that those genes don't ever turn on. And we can heal those things inside of ourselves. We can rewire our own brains. It takes time and it takes energy, but we can change those things ourselves. So in some ways, having children is a powerful means to actually change the lineage. Because when you heal yourself, you heal all the generations of women and men that came before you who didn't, have the space to do this work where it wasn't socially acceptable or where it was like yeah stiff upper lip or if we think back even like two three generations ago our grandparents were probably in war
0: i was i was just thinking about that like my my grandmother her all the men in her family were killed in front of the rest of the family by the russians she was forced to walk from poland to germany was put in a camp in germany sexual assaults physical assault everything for a couple of years there as a young girl, like 13, then came to Canada. And it's like that, you know, you you think, you just say, oh, that's crazy, bobcha, that's crazy, Grandma, whatever. But it's like there's a reason for that. And, yeah. And
4: Mm -hmm. she probably developed a lot of mechanisms to be able to cope with that and to be able to sort of put those many, many, many survivors of trauma like that. Vodka. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, or, or that, and putting it up on the shelf, like either sometimes over-identifying with it, or not talking about it. You know, my grandfather was in a uh, was a airplane pilot in World War II, and and lost several co pilots, and just he never would speak about it. He would just he refused to speak about it. So we all that repression, right? But that doesn't mean what we push away. We have to feel it to heal it, right? But that's very new awareness. So we can respect and hold in one hand that previous generations had to push away, not feel, minimize, because they were in survival mode. They were literally like being chased by a tiger. And then you think about your grandmother coming here, building a life, having a family. And, and, and all the responsibilities that came with that and being an immigrant and all of those things, right? She didn't have space and time, but mm-hmm. now we do. And so when we can do that healing work, now we do it for our grandparents and our parents who did not have the space to lean into those those things. And we also do it for our children. And then mm-hmm. we can only meet other people as deeply as we have met ourselves. Mm-hmm. if we do the work, number one, we don't pass it to our children in the same way. Number two, when our child reflects something back to us, we can hold it differently. You know, we don't like, you know, just this morning, my daughter woke up at 4.30, she has like, she's got a cold, she's not feeling well, and she just is like having, and she's also about to have a baby brother. And so she's just having like a lot of big feelings and she was having a full-on meltdown. It was like four. I couldn't fall asleep till two cause I'm <laughs> pregnant as hell. And I, I rarely lose my temper. I'm very, very centered with her, but I was just, she was really physical. And I was like, it's enough. It's enough. Alice! It's enough. And I watched her and she went from being like, really angry and like wanting to throw things at me and slamming her door in her room to being like she wanted me to pick her up because the connection to me is more important than her feelings, right? So she if I had stayed mad at her, if I had stomped around, if and I, of course like we do this and we can repair it. Mm-hmm. It's not saying you have to be perfect. But <laughs> If, you know, if I hadn't that from when I saw that, I was like, she's that willing to forego her emotional needs to stay in connection with me because she needs me because I'm her person. And that just softened me right away. And then I was able to pick her up and say, I'm sorry, I got mad and that scared you and you didn't like that. And it's okay to lose our temper. It's okay to be imperfect with our, our child. If we can repair it, if we can model it, if we can show them, we all have big feelings and it's okay. And we should teach them how to ride the wave of our emotion, right? But if I think for future generations, and I wonder sometimes, you know, what happened to my mother or her mother around these things where there wasn't that space for those big feelings what happens you push them down but then they continue to live inside emotions have to be metabolized they have to be processed and once we work them through on the other side there's relief there's insight there's a sense of connection to self there's a sense of connection to other you know when you get into a big fight with your spouse but then you talk it through and afterwards you just like really want to be close to them you know because you feel that connection it's the same with our little kids after this incident with Alice all morning she was coming to me and stroking my face and saying, oh mommy I love you I love you so much because we repaired it Mm -hmm. right but we do that as adults too absolutely so and if we don't do that then it metabol it, it doesn't metabolize it metastasizes and it grows inside of us that's where I think
0: mental health comes from. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's funny that you said this you know, example of you and Alice because I, I don't really lose my temper either, but the first time I really did was when I was a couple weeks out of giving birth to Betty, and I couldn't sleep, and Lucy was needing all these things in the night, and I just – I remember scaring her, and then immediately – like, just because it was so uncharacteristic of me to get angry, and it was in the middle of the night, and uh, she just like kind of shut down and just stared at me and just started crying, and then I started bawling. I was just holding her and telling her I was sorry, and again we repaired it. But that that kind of thing is scary, and it's good it's good to know that we can break that generational these generational cycles. But I know that for some people who Are medicated, you know, it's totally has to do with chemicals in their brain and things that can't be controlled as easily. So, for parents who are going through those kinds of things, how can they cope? How can they work through their blockages?
4: So, they need to, I guess, figure out what their support system is and what a healthy baseline looks like for them Mm -hmm. in terms of, yeah medication, movement, food, all of those things, um, and what kind of supports they need to parent. But I believe that all parents, and this is the sort of perspective that we have in emotion-focused family work, that all parents are the best parent to their child because you are neurologically bonded to them. That child is most responsive to you. So parents want to bring me very often, their kid, and they're like, you know, he doesn't apologize, and he's stroppy, and blah, 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 like all these problems. And I'm like, well, do you apologize? Do you model how to repair? And also, I can meet with your kid once a week, and I can teach them some strategies, and I'm happy to do that. But what's going to be way more powerful is if I teach you the strategies, and then you work with your child, because your child is, their brain is going to light up way more so when you when Lucy's having a hard time and you or Shane sit with her and validate her, that's way more responsive. So part of it is like learning some of those strategies. It's about like being able to lean into the discomfort and trust yourself. Parenting is a huge act of like jumping off a cliff and saying like, "Well, I hope for the best," you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you know, we all do that. Whether we live with mental health, physical health, we. Who knows what's going to happen what, what, to our marriage? You know, anybody could be in an accident, you know. So it's really not that different, I think, than a choice that we all make. But, yes, it's figuring out, like, what's my baseline? How do I take care of myself? What, am I gonna, what are the things that I need? And building those supports in. And then it's also being able to do something we call radically accept, that it's not always going to go perfectly. And trusting yourself and trusting your child. Trusting that it's okay if you make mistakes, that you're still the best parent you could be to this child, and that as long as you're working on it. Trusting your child that, you know, even if breastfeeding is not for you because you can't do it or because it's gonna be too impactful to your well-being or you need to have multiple people be able to feed your baby because sleep is really important to your well-being. But radically accepting that you taking care of yourself and modeling that, is modeling to your child that their needs matter too. And it's okay. Right? So, and then also having a really good team around you because the changes that happen, you know, if you're gonna, it depends on, I guess, how you're gonna have children as well. Whether you're gonna have a surrogate or you're gonna adopt, or you're gonna uh, have a baby grow inside of you. But if you are gonna go through pregnancy, like you just mentioned, that changes also our hormones so profoundly. It's probably the most rapid time of change in a woman's life, in t- every way physically, emotionally, spiritually, all of it. So, you know, that can also really change people's well being. That can change. I've seen people's diagnoses completely change that they went from having depression to having very sort of minimal anxiety, for example, just because there's so much transformation that's happening in the nervous system. So, you don't know what it's gonna be, but you wanna make sure that you have a good care team we are going to be available to you. And that I believe each one of us is the expert on our own needs. And we all have a part of us inside that kind of knows what we need for healing, that knows what's right for us, that we want to connect to that inner knowing place and have that part lead the journey to becoming a parent.
0: Because very often
4: it's the fear-based part.
0: You know, it's funny, my very first day of... Uh, university English class at Western. It was my very first day. I was in first year. And we go in, this professor comes out and I get, this was his like big shock thing to shock you, to be like, you're not in high school anymore. I can swear and be cool. And he read us this poem. I only remember the first line, but it's, they fuck you up, your mom and dad. They may not mean to, but they do. And, you know, there's like, my parents are the best. They were the best. They are so loving. We have the best family. We're so close. I don't go a day without calling them multiple times. Uh, and it's it's like ridiculous. Like I, I love them so much. But in certain ways, you know, the way we deal with them, I, I don't think they fucked me up. But I think there are some things that they set inside me that I could deal with better. Maybe this is because of how they perceive things. And You know, nothing was intentional. And I think we have to remember that, you know, even the most loving, nurturing, centric parent is going to leave some kind of imprint on their kid just because of how their kid receives it or, like you said, like metabolizes. There's
4: always a gap between what your parent is able to give and what that child needs. And that we like, I think for parents so much of the time, especially like our generation's parents where they're like the attitudes around parenting were such of like, be the perfect parent and your child is like a reflection of you and all these sort of things that it's actually very healthy. Mm -hmm. It's very healthy to have that parenting gap because that's the place where your child gets to strive and they get to test and they get to figure out how they want to be different than their caregivers and how they want to find their own way in the world. And what I always say to my child and to my clients and to my partner is like, all of your feelings are welcome with me. Even the feelings you have about me are welcome with me. And so we can disappoint our child. We can wound them, which we will. We can pass on, you know, coping strategies. Like I definitely inherited some in my family too. Again, never my, my parents did an amazing job your parents obviously did an amazing job look at you um we could talk for an hour about all the amazing mm, things absolutely right? and and one day you know my, my children will be sitting in therapy talking to another therapist like they a crazy mom therapist right it's fine what's important is that that our children feel safe to come back to us and say why did you do that or what was that about and when we can give them the gift of not not feeling responsible for that, not owning it, then it becomes like very, very connected. And so this is sort of my lens through which I see mental health is I I value and I see that there are real biological, neurological conditions that people inherit or that are exhibited. But I also see all mental health as being an effort to cope. It's being an effort to, to handle emotional experiences. So what do you do if you feel sad and you can't tolerate it and it's too much you you're depressed because the emotion is too big what do you do if you feel that sense of unsafety in the world that sense of like there's a lion prowling after me all the time i'm on edge you get in it you have anxiety right even something like bipolar like it all comes for me the diagnosis is an effort the mental health is an effort to cope. Same with things like cutting or addiction or or all of those things. It's an effort to not feel, right? So what we want to do as our own working parents and in supporting our children is to be able to feel our own feelings and to be able to hold space for our child's feelings, and then to be able to help them do hard things that help them have experiences where they learn it's okay to have a meltdown and repair. It's okay to like lose my temper at my friend or it's okay to lose the basketball game or whatever the things are,
0: you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, when it comes to triggers for, for parents who are dealing like, so if I'm dealing with my child, I have a mental health diagnosis and how how do we go about, you know, finding, discovering what our triggers are and then working on fixing those?
4: Well, you want to look at what's the theme. So the, the question, and this comes from Brené Brown's research that I always ask people, is well, what story am I telling myself? So what you want to look for is the places to identify a trigger. You want to look for the places where your emotions don't fit the facts, right? So the example with Alice this morning where I'm waking up at 4.30 and I, I've slept for two hours and I'm extremely enormously pregnant, that emotion like fits the facts, right? Like it, it who kind of wouldn't be on their best behavior? But in the moments where, you know, I'm trying to think of some examples that I worked with clients recently, your child doesn't get invited to the birthday party and you have this enormous reaction or your kid is kind of like, you're, you're calling for them and saying like, so-and-so, you know, turn off the TV or it's time to come for dinner, or it's time to come for dinner and your kid's just kind of ignoring you and you have this big reaction. Those things tell us, When the emotion is bigger than the situation, it doesn't fit. That's just a signpost. And it's just saying, oh, there's some healing to do here. There's a story you're telling yourself here. There's an experience that you need to repair. And that usually comes from our own childhood and emotions we had to bury or stories we told ourselves that we didn't feel safe to tell anybody, like I don't belong or I'm not welcome, uh, all of those kinds of things. Yeah. And the way that we work through them I mean, there's all different kinds of ways to do that and different therapists work with that in different ways and different people need different things. And some people don't even need therapy. Sometimes you just do some journaling about it or you just sit with it or meditate on it. Healing therapy is not the only way to do healing. But is really to go back to that memory and figure out what's there for me. What did I need that I didn't get? And it's not about blaming anybody that your need didn't get met. But just figuring out what is that need. And then in that moment, when that trigger gets evoked with your child, you turn toward yourself first. You turn toward your, you don't even respond to, and it doesn't need to be long, you don't leave like a ban on your kid. But it's just like, you know, for example, this parent I'm talking about where, you know, didn't get hit, their child didn't get invited to the birthday party. And there's their child's very distressed. Before they go to the child, they're going to go to themselves and say, that's really hard. This is reminding you of experiences you had when you were young and you still matter and it's okay and your child's okay and you can sit with them with this. And then we build their strategies and their tools to be able to do that with their Mm -hmm. kid. So it's both like the internal journey and then sort of like skill piece. Like we need skills there.
0: All right, Jesse, we're going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we are supported by. We are supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip Spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever.
1: And it's something we're drinking every single podcast and at least once a week when we're not recording the podcast.
0: Oh, it's the best. And, you know, as a non-drinker, it never feels great when the only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. But now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life.
1: And this isn't just for people who exclusively don't drink. We do drink alcohol. We also drink Seedlip. And I just love mixing it up. Sometimes I go months without drinking alcohol. And Seedlip is a great substitute for
0: me. Oh, it's incredible. And, you know, whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every type of drinker it's crafted using a bespoke process including traditional copper distillation of botanicals and each of seed Lip's three variants which are spice 94 garden 108 and grow 42 are alcohol free and have their own unique flavors which pair so perfectly with just a splash of tonic
1: I guess pregnant women, this would be perfect for too, wouldn't it?
0: Well, that's when I got hooked. Yeah. I guess that's why they're <laughs> sponsoring us. Yeah, They can also be used to make more complex cocktails like Shane and I often enjoy. And you'll find those in the Seedlip cocktail book or on their Instagram account at Seedlip underscore N-A. So head on over to SeedLipDrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. This is available in Canada and in the U.S. And again, that is SeedLipDrinks.com and ThisFamilyTree10.
1: But we are also supported by...
0: Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs make the best bras that you can get your hands or your boobs onto, into. Agreed. (laughs) So I first got onto Bravado Designs when I was pregnant with Lucy and I sent Shane to the store to fetch me a nursing bra.
1: Not this story again, Alex. He
0: came back with a Bravado Designs bra. I have not worn anything else since. It's either no bra or Bravado Designs because they're equally as comfortable for me.
1: I'm like King Midas.
0: (laughs) So anyhow, I got introduced to the nursing bras and it's really wonderful because they have just come out with their everyday collection. So these bras have no clips. They are not Nursing bras are everyday bras. So you can get your hands on those at ca.bravadodesigns.com and you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com. But regardless of which website you go to, if you use the promo code thisfamilytree20, you're going to get 20% off your bra order. That is a huge bang for your buck. Again, that is bravadodesigns.com and thisfamilytree20. All right, now let's get back to our interview with Jesse. Is there any way that's like if, you know, you're a parent and you are you are that type of person who's going to get angry about, like you said, you know, calling your kid to come and eat dinner or something like that. Are there ways that parents can, that are dealing with mental health can stop and self-soothe before they, you know, continue with their child? Yeah. So to
4: come back to those animal models that we were talking about, which is like a
0: very common,
4: um, emotion focused strategy we use with parents. Again, no parent is the is the bull or the ostrich all the time. It's when you get evoked. But so it's like recognizing those patterns. And the reason I like talking about it in terms of those animal models is it's really not stigmatizing. Mm -hmm. And your partner can be like, you're being the ostrich or whatever, but it's not like, you know, shaming. And then the self-soothing in it is that's different for every person. So sometimes that's having affirmations. Sometimes that's doing some box breathing. Sometimes it's just leaving the room for a minute. Or if you can, if you're lucky enough and you have the privilege to be able to tap out and say to your partner or a family member, like, can you, can you jump in for five? So that's super individual. What I find for most people is, is, is most helpful is being able to sit with the sensation of the feeling often what I'll say is like walk that spiral staircase down your body and notice like what are you feeling? Where do you feel it? What's the sensation? What's the emotion? If the emotion could speak, what would it say? And very often it's saying something like, I can't do this. I don't matter. I'm being disrespected. I have to protect myself, something like this. And then you just evaluate, where did I learn that? So that's typically how I, that's a very emotion-focused way to work through that. But other people like, you know, more cognitive therapists or behavioral therapists might do other things, even sometimes like putting your hands on your heart, gently swaying your body, doing some stress, like even a wall sit, something like that will bring you back into the moment. So that's really individual to what, and, and it's good to have a toolbox there. It's good to have many, many tools. Um, And there's some great things available, you know, on the resource, like online, if people just were to Google, like self-soothing strategies, for example, like a whole list of things will come up and you can kind of experiment about what works for you. But often it's hard to do in the moment if you don't have someone supporting you, which is why therapy is really helpful.
0: Mm -hmm. And I I can only see those things too, being uh, good for kids to see in a way in that, it you know, it models that behavior for them, especially if they do go through something when they are older. Now, you know, how do you know, like, self-soothing's not working. You're going through this. Your self-soothing's not working. You are dealing with some kind of severe diagnosis or, you know, mental health issue. When do you know that you need outside help? And what out- outside help do you get? Like, in the moment you are angry at your kid, you're too angry, you are noticing that in yourself, what, what should you do if you are experiencing something like that?
4: Again super individual about what help looks and feels like to you. You know, for some people that might be taking up Tai Chi or, or taking a meditation course, for other people that might be therapy, for somebody else that might be talking to their friends and their family or listening to a bunch of podcasts or getting a book. So the, the what it looks like, it's also very privileged of me as like, you know, a white blonde woman to say like, everybody should get therapy because I know that accessing it is a barrier for a lot of people or that there's very long wait times. In most communities, there are child mental health agencies that do a lot of parenting support um, that you can usually access like a group or a resource pretty quickly. Even like our most local public libraries have have books on, on these sorts of things. So there's always resources, but the accessibility piece is hard too. Um, but yeah, so the what, it, what you do really depends on what's available to you, what your resources are, and what, we're all the experts on what we need. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're, what I would say is what we always look for around mental health is how much is this impacting your functioning? When you know it's a problem is when it's impacting your ability to function in your world. So like if you can't sleep because you're lying awake because you're worried about your kid or you're mad, Or if you can't enjoy your weekend with them and have a nice time because you're blowing up
0: Mm
4: -hmm. or, you know, you can't get out of the house because you're anxious about all of these things. So it's really about like, is what's happening for you emotionally and in terms of your well-being impacting you to a degree that you can't function in your life in the way that you want to or in a way that you used to do? That's kind of a clear marker of when people need that
0: support. And are there supports out there for kids? So if you know, like, hey, I'm dealing with mental health issues, I want to make sure my kid is feeling seen, feeling heard, has an outlet to, you know, vent about me or talk about their feelings because they're going to, you know, be impacted in some way, whether it's the fact that maybe they're not focusing in school because they're worried or they're angry or whatever what supports are out there for kids to you know who are coping with it
4: well there's lots of children's mental health agencies so that's a great place to start also your gp but i would say and this is my bias from being an emotion focused clinician i think that parents are always the best resource to their child
0: but if the parent <laughs> is the one with the mental health even mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. i'm not saying don't use other things mm-hmm.
4: I'm not saying, like, there isn't, but I, you know, but I also think we have to be careful about not pathologizing children and not, like, you know, having big feelings. Kids are incredibly resilient. And what's most important to them is knowing that their parent loved them. That is the most powerful gift that we can give them. So, I, you know, on one hand, I think, you know, if your kid's expressing a desire to connect with somebody or to do a group or a resource or there's great books out there. There's so many, I mean, there's so many wonderful things for sure. Have talks about these issues and potentially access resources if you think that you need them. But for me, what I have seen is I can work with a kid for six weeks. So, and very often parents will bring me like their eight-year-old and they're like, oh, having all these tantrums and meltdowns, and we don't know what to do. And, and I'm meeting with, and in terms of brain development, this kid is like super sweet, but can they really explain to me what's going on when they're having the meltdown, why they're having it, what they need to, I can practice some strategies with them, but do they have the resources internally to them when they're having that expo- experience to be able to use the tool? No, they don't. Even 12 and 13 year olds don't. Even 16-year-olds don't. The fact is, if we include family members, caregivers, loved ones in therapy, kids do better and they do best better faster. So even if I'm working with an 18-year-old who's self-harming, for example, I want to have a few sessions with that parent to be able to have this is these are the things we're working on. What comes up for you around supporting your kid? What are the hardest parts? What would it be like when your child comes to you and says banana and you know that they're really upset and they want to self-harm to go get an ice cube and let it hold in their hand and you sit with them and do some deep breathing. That is going to be way more regulating for that child than for them doing it on their own and with a therapist that they're potentially going to see once every couple of weeks, right? I'm not saying don't access the resources, but I think as parents it's what's most helpful is for us to get the resources so that we can show up. And also that then when things happen, there's that sense of like, you can do hard things. We Mm -hmm. can work through hard things as a family, you
0: know? Yeah. No. And you know, what about if a child sees their parent engaging in like destructive behavior, like whether it is cutting and here's that I'm not an expert. Like I don't know if adults still do these things. I know it's very common in like teenagers and preteens. But if if a kid sees something like that or trying to self medicate with drugs or alcohol or you know, to get like suicide attempts, things like that, is there are there ways to repair from that? For sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. And they will see that. Yeah. Yeah. They
4: will see they will see you being Mm imperfect. And it's it's okay because it models to them that you can be imperfect. You know, I've worked with families with children who've had hor- seen and experienced horrific things, horrific things that you I don't need, you wouldn't even recount. And they still want to know that their parent loved them and tried their best. There's really, in my experience, almost nothing that children will forgive their parents for if they apologize. And and, and if we can apologize and own it in emotion-focused work, there's something we do called a the therapeutic apology, where we have the parent write and then deliver an apology where they go through to their child like this is how you must have felt you know you could have been sad because and because you could have been angry because and because you could have felt shame because and because and I'm so sorry you had that experience and here's what I'm going to do to going forward I won't be perfect I won't always get it right but here's what I'm going to do and when parents give that apology it's amazing because it takes the the blame and the shame and the stuckness that the child's holds, like I did something bad, I'm bad, away from them and it puts it back on the parent. But in order to do that as a parent, we have to be able to hold two things. One is I did the very best I could with the resources I had at the time and I hurt my child, you know, and both things are true. And I've seen parents offer that apology and a child who's been estranged from their parent for two to four years, suddenly starts texting with their parent and is willing to like go meet at that whim at a park. In my own experience, I did that therapeutic apology for my daughter. When she was born, she went to the NICU and I got like completely fixated on breastfeeding, probably because I know too much about attachment and really, really hard on myself. And not surprisingly, the more fixated I was on that, the less the milk came in, the more it was like, Oh, and then it was like using the medication and pumping every hour and just like wild and around the four month mark I had this moment of like I should be using I should be using my tools and so I did this therapeutic apology for Alice she was four months old she definitely did not receive it <laughs> but I wrote it I wrote it for her and I gave it to her I, d- I read it to her and what happened my breast milk came in wow and I nursed her till she was 21 months oh my
0: god Jess that's incredible but That's it was incredible. this thing of like
4: I forgave myself. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. if we were really genuinely apologizing, we have to forgive ourselves, right? So, yeah. So our children will take those things on, but there's nothing nothing that we can't repair, and it's also okay. Like they're okay to have hard experiences. Do you know what I mean? We have to see them as capable as and resilient. I think a lot of the time we see children as like fragile and breakable.
0: Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And you know, for listeners. What you are talking about right now, Jess, uh, I think is so well described. In an interview we did with uh, a director named Ash Abelson, his father was John Ab- Abelson, he did Rocky. And we interviewed his son because they were estranged for Ash's whole life. And then there was this moment like, a few years before John died uh, that they had together where there was that forgiveness, that reconciliation. And then they had a couple really beautiful years together before John died. So go check out that. If you want to see, I think that, you know, from the child's perspective, which is, it was, it's a powerful interview as well. And, you know, he carries that into his own views on having kids and.
4: Yeah. We can all yeah. put that into our, in our minds. If you think about a time where your parent really hurts you. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, I've had parents do that therapeutic apology for their child when they have cancer and they're dying. It's not something and, and same with me. Like, like I couldn't control that I had a traumatic birth. I couldn't control that my daughter's lung collapsed and she had to go to the NICU. Like it wasn't my fault. But it impacted her. It course, still was permanent yeah. to her and it impacted me and how I coped. And and it's a it's a beautiful thing to offer. Our child, mm. right? all—if you could just imagine, like something that you hold on to. We all have a few things from our childhood of something that our parent did. With can you imagine if your parents sat down and said to you, "I'm so sorry. You must have felt this way because you must—you—they're mirroring to you. I, I understand what your internal experience is. I get you. I see you. How grounding, how soothing that is.
0: Like it's never too late. No, it's, it's never not. too late. I know. I, I I totally agree with that. I I completely agree. And Jess, I'm I'm going to end it here because I know that this could go on for a while. You are so wonderful, and I have to say, you're so poetic in all of this. And oh, no, you are. And it's not uh, in a put on way or anything, but just I think your connection with what you do, and you know the experiences you've had in your own experience and with your clients. It allows you to kind of see it in this really beautiful way and I so appreciate your perspective and honestly I'm so happy that I was able to talk to you about this because of that perspective and because of the way you address these things so I, I truly appreciate your time today oh, I truly do pleasure. It's and pleasure. where where can people go like it to find your practice I know you're you're probably so busy but where can they go to find that information
4: yeah, if they go, I can send you some links, but if people sort of, like, Google, um, if they want to work on supporting their children on emotion-focused family therapy, they just Google that in their region. Their therapists all over Canada and the United States. Same, same probably for, for individual support. Anyone who works with perinatal or parenting concerns. And I can send you links for, for my practices, which I will not be at in the next few months, but... Where there are also really
0: wonderful therapists there. Lovely. That's amazing. Well, Jess, good luck with the birth of your little boy. Thank good you. luck with Alice's reactions to that and everything. It's going to be so exciting. And I'm very happy for you. But thanks again Thank for you. today. My pleasure. Take care. Right. See Bye you later. Tomorrow. Bye.
1: Another interview down.
0: Another one down. Shane, you need to listen to this one. Uh, even though, you know, we, spoke mostly about parents with mental health issues. She has so many pieces of information that are good for absolutely any parent because we have things in our life that affect our parenting, right? So at one point, when she's speaking about the animals and which animal parenting style you have and how that might butt heads with your co-parents, I just, I think it's fascinating and you got to listen to it because it is so good. I will. Mm -hmm.
1: I already have at this moment, in fact, like... Mm. not like to the people listening i have not to you no so you good work
0: thank you (laughs) but now
1: it's my favorite part it's where alex tells us answers to questions that you the listener have asked it's our mailbag segment so just in case this is your first time checking out this podcast alex had questions submitted through her instagram account she researched them and now Is the moment she's going to present them and i may chip in some things too if need be
0: you're gonna have to chip in there's there's a couple that require us both to chip in but the first one what's a beef bowl so this person is asking what a beef bowl is. I wouldn't
1: overthink it. Because
0: <laughs> so Shane and I have spoken about our love for beef bowls, uh, which we eat very <laughs> often. I had a beef
1: bowl before this, in, but no, before this recording of this podcast. Yeah. yeah.
0: So it's essentially uh, it's nothing fancy. You simply take a bowl and fill it with beef with ground taco beef. seasoning, ground beef with taco seasoning. Perhaps a little cheese, perhaps a little taco sauce, perhaps a little salsa. And then you eat it. And that's all it is. It's a bowl full of, of ground beef.
1: Well, it makes me feel really good when I avoid putting cheese in. Mm. I just feel like, hey, I'm being lean, mean, and I'm going to build a lot of muscle today, I tell myself.
0: So you feel like Arnold when he skip the skip the cheddar.
1: Well I, well, I try not to do the cheddar because my whole goal when I started Beef Bowls was to get ripped. <laughs> Muscularly speaking.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, beef bowl. Bowl full of beef. We like to have them for lunch. And and that's the end of that. Next question. If you wanted to get Botox or fillers, how would Shane feel about that? So
1: You're going to answer that question on my behalf?
0: No, I, I'm throwing this to you, babe.
1: Whatever you wanted to do would be fine with me. Would it be my preference if I had to say, oh, could if I really in my heart of hearts, would I want Alex to get Botox to look aesthetically better? Which one I don't even feel is possible. And I'm not just saying that on the mic here to sound like a sweetheart, which I am. (laughs) I would say no, I do not. It's not something I like Botox personally. And I know you would argue, well, you only notice when it's done poorly. You're yeah. not noticing it to the people who don't use it. And I would argue that. And if you told me you had it, I would probably be more aware of it. I don't I don't know. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't change anything in a relationship. It wouldn't make me more or less attracted to you. It, in fact, if it made you happy, it would probably make me more attracted to you and happy myself because – the old happy wife, happy life thing mm-hmm. is, is true to a large extent. So, yeah, it's I'm fine either way. Do do whatever you want, Alex. All right. What do you want?
0: Well, right now, the, obviously, this has been something I've been struggling with. And I'm going to, you know, we're going to have a big interview about this, you know, this coming week. But it's something I do kind of want to fight against right now because i are you
1: fighting it internally is there an internal fight you no know, in? i want
0: to fight it externally and internally so i think i'm winning the fight internally and I, i'm getting over my desire to get it done mm-hmm. like i'm thinking eff it and i'm fine without it but now it's like you know i've conquered the individual like myself but now i want to help kind of conquer the collective view of just kind of needing to you know hide aging like, I, I kind of want to help people get over the need to want to do that because it's everybody ages. And I had somebody message me this week that it's a privileged age and that, you know, why would you, you know, why would you not embrace that? In, well, we in know ways.
1: why, because everywhere it's perpetuated that youth is better, especially with women. So yeah. I don't think it's any surprise that women is the target demo for this. So of we, we know why.
0: No, we know. We know why. And honestly, it's like. The companies that are providing these treatments are the ones telling us that we should be worried about age and everything. And it's like, yeah, because they're trying to sell us (laughs) treatments. Oh,
1: we saw an ad for Botox the other day. I found it very hilarious because they were marketing it as an anti-migraine medication. Yet apparently men don't get migraines because there wasn't one fucking man in this commercial.
0: The commercial had like 12 different actresses. All of them women in like their mid 30s, like the perfect demo for "Hmm, maybe I should start getting Botox for my wrinkles, but just tell everybody it's for migraines. Yeah, it it was was,
1: it was hilarious. Like they didn't even hide it. They didn't even have one token male (laughs) in there. Like, you know, being like, oh, my head hurts.
0: It was just women (laughs) who were
1: like trying to avoid their migraines.
0: And yeah. okay, next question. How do you and Shane handle parenting disagreements? So it's been pretty easy up to this point. I think a huge part of that. No, no. Uh, But I think a huge part of that is the fact that Shane sits in, like we do interviews together and we've done so many interviews together about how to deal with behavioral issues in kids, how to deal with certain things. So we've been learning from the same professionals. Like we've been using the same playbook. You know what I mean?
1: And if we hadn't, I just implicitly trust you with this sort of thing. And my weakest part is honestly meals. I'm like wondering what's okay for children to eat. Mm -hmm. What can they put in their mouth? So I defer to you often when it comes to food. So often if Nona here or your mom's here, like, can she eat this? I'm like, Alex? Mm -hmm. But beyond that, I feel like we're pretty much the same.
0: Yeah. And honestly, like if there is ever something where you are handling it different than I might just eat. Instinctively.
1: Well, now I'm curious. What have I been handling different?
0: No, like if something comes up where that happens and I feel like that I always, you know, I don't say anything because it's only going to be detrimental if we are discussing how to parent in front of the kid who's being parented. And then I always just wait a minute, see how it plays out. And then I'm like, OK, you know, maybe I'll talk about this later. And then I don't think I've ever brought anything up because. It's all small potatoes and it's nothing that
1: I'm curious of an instance. I'm just you've piqued my interest.
0: No, I know. there was something earlier in the week where I was like, oh, I may have handled that differently, but not to say that there's anything wrong with the way you handled it. And I can't even remember what the instance was. And I was gonna I was gonna say something, like just have an open discussion. Was it about where it? I
1: sprayed Lou's face with a water bottle? No.
0: Huh. <laughs> <gasps> but uh yeah, no, I forget what it was, but it, it wasn't a big deal, and yeah, I, didn't, I just didn't care that much.
1: Well, just for people listening who are wondering what I did to Lucy, Lucy was spraying Betty and other mm-hmm. people with this water bottle. She has this toy cleaning device, and I said, don't spray Betty, and she said, why? I said, because she doesn't like that, and she goes, why? I said, I don't know. She's crying. She doesn't like it. Would you like me to spray you? She said, No. So I grabbed the spray bottle and I squirted her in the face. No, and she s-
0: said yes, didn't she?
1: Oh, at first, oh, at yeah. first she said yes. Think to call my bluff, and I squirted her in the face, and then I squirted her again. And she said, "Stop!" I go, "See, why don't you like that?"
4: Yeah. So
1: no, it was just. I, I thought that it was a good move. Who knows? Maybe we'll talk to a parenting expert, and the- <laughs> Lucy will be in therapy because of that moment. But it it was questionable. I think. I think it would, yeah. it might be something that would run through your mind, like, eh, "I don't know if that's the best way to go." And I, I still don't know, but it's what I did.
0: No, it worked for the time being. But yeah, I, I think that if you are worried about parenting disagreements or you're having parenting disagreements with your spouse, get them reading the same playbook you are. So like wherever you're getting your information from, whether it's a podcast, an article, a book, send that to them, like have discussions about it. Make it something that, You know, parenting is something that you should talk about. Just as we talk about with Chaz, it shouldn't always be instinctual because sometimes our instincts aren't correct. And our instincts, like we said, again, you know, they're coming from a place of fear. And that happens so often. So if you step back from your parenting and make that something that you talk about with your spouse frequently and openly, then I think it'll be easier to get on the same page. Next question. Separation anxiety. We're struggling post-COVID. We have a 12-year-old and a mom. So it's a 12-year-old and a mom, and they're struggling with separation anxiety now that COVID's over. Well, you know.
1: Who's asking this question?
0: I don't know. A, a person. A listener.
1: But they said we have a 12-year-old and a mom?
0: <clears throat> no. So the family here. So there's a 12-year-old and a mom, and they're struggling from separation anxiety now that I guess things are opening back up and maybe the mom's back at work.
1: Who's struggling more, the mom or the child? I'm not sure. Okay, you start. <laughs>
0: well, I <laughs> I just say like look, like the only time I've had to deal with separation anxiety in a sense was when I first brought Lou to daycare after my first year on mat leave. And it was hard. It was harder for her because she was so attached to me. Like Lucy didn't want to be held by other people. She only wanted me. It was really tough. She'd cry, call my name. And the only way to do it for both of us was just trial by fire. Just drop her off at daycare for a day, go to work, go about my day. I cried a lot the first day. I cried a little bit the second day. I, you know, I probably shed a couple tears the third day. And then by the end of the week, I was great. I was happy. She was thriving. I was thriving. And after that, it was just we were back to a really good routine. So I hope that, you know, trial by fire can really help you. And, you know, maybe coming home and since it's a 12-year-old – And you can have more in-depth conversations. Talk about the good things that happen to you guys during your day. Talk about the challenges. Help each other through those challenges so that you can be a part of each other's day even though you're not doing it together.
1: Where's the research, Alex? It seems like that was a highly researchable question. You're just pontificating?
0: No, I researched. Oh,
1: that was? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know.
0: Yeah, I researched a little bit. And then I have more questions that are getting have more research oh, I, I couldn't yeah. memorize that one i kind of just, just usually
1: you pull up this sheet well, that, that one here's
0: the thing that one it just i think it um coincided with what was in my brain anyway so that one was just easy for me
1: okay sorry i didn't mean to call you out or be <laughs> rude on the mic
0: but do you have any suggestions babe
1: no i don't know I, I i've never experienced that maybe when i was a child with my with my mom going to school but not since then
0: You've had it easy. Are you going to have separation anxiety when I go back to work and you're at home working? Are you going to be like, who can I make jokes with all day? Who's going to come in and pinch my butt in the day?
1: I'll find someone.
0: Give me hugs. I'll
1: find someone. Um,
0: It's just going to be you and Roseanne, your stepmother and the baby.
1: Yeah. Well, (laughs) I guess there won't be butt pinching then if you're going to make it so weird. But I guess Um, you
0: can get kisses and tell jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on here. <laughs> okay, all right. What is your weirdest coworker story? So, I don't, I don't have one. But Shane, you have one. I don't know if you're allowed to tell it.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I started at my job, and I think a coworker liked someone at my work, and I think. That they assumed that this coworker liked me. And what they did is they created an email account, a fake email with my Wait, first and last. How long ago was this? Eight years ago, okay. nine years ago. And they started emailing this woman and saying that they wanted to meet up and trying to get photos, maybe. So someone, this person getting these messages, walks in my Oedipus and says, do you have a hotmail address? (laughs) And I said, no. And she goes, didn't think so. Bye. And leaves. I go, no, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. What's going on? And then then she told me someone was messaging her under my name. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't me. (laughs) And I was like, what? And um, yeah, I found that very weird. And I confronted this person. And How
0: did you find out who it was?
1: I did like a sting operation. I had a hunch who it was. Mm -hmm. And then so what I did was my friend sat near this person, my fellow coworker. And I said, I want you to film this person's reaction when I email. I'm going to email him. And when I do, could you film his reaction? So I said, hey, just wondering, was this you who did that? I know we've had disagreements in the past, but I don't think you'd take it this far. But I want to make sure you wouldn't do anything like this to me. So the person receives the email and instantly deletes all of his Internet history, panics, shuts his computer, like comes and visits me. He's very, very nice to me. And I went to my friend. I go, what was the reaction? And he was just like, I'll show you the footage, but he's guilty. <laughs> anyway, that was it.
0: Yeah, that's wild.
1: And yeah, this person ended up becoming a kind of a problematic character, and yeah, ended up losing their job in the end. Well, like I, after many years, though, he, this this went on for like weird things happened.
0: Well, like if you're impersonating somebody to get with somebody else in a what, like a sexual or loving manner, like in a dating way, that is highly, that's highly inappropriate.
1: Yes. Nowadays, I would think that it would have been taken care of instantly.
0: Oh, man. That's wild. Yeah, I don't have anything near that. So I'm glad Shane had a good story for there. All right. If you were to get a visible tattoo tomorrow, what would it be? So for me, uh, I don't know, something to do with the family, I tried. I try to find something nice, and then just get it. Maybe, maybe. Okay, you know where I'd get it? Because this person said you can't hide it. it. Has to be somewhere visible, and you can't say nothing. So I'd get it right above my elbow pit. Like, uh, what is that called? Elbow pit. Okay. <laughs> Inside I'd get of it, your elbow. Yeah. I'd get it like on my bicep, right above or below my elbow pit, and I'd get like a little symbol. Maybe I'd get Lucy to draw something, or oh, no, she's too terrible at drawing.
1: What about an onk? <laughs> <and
0: a honk. laughs> no, but yeah, I don't know. I'd get something to represent, you know, my kids or something like that. Maybe the dates of their birth.
1: I would get Betty's name.
0: Yes, uh, we're waiting is, on that.
1: This is a tattoo. I have my daughter's name, Lucy. I have Alex's name, Alexandra on my arm. And Betty's just kind of missing out. I also have M O M, which stands for Mom. It also stands for Mike on Much, which is the other podcast and I wow. work for. And Wow, if it's upside down. And I have an onk here that I'm dying to cover up. So I will cover that up with anything as soon as it's safe to get tattoos. I want to get those two tattoos in very visible places. Yeah, just no, to I th- keep I it think fair because everyone else's tattoo lucy's very visible yours is a little less visible but i want betty's to be visible too
0: hers can be like right here beside the lucy thing yeah yeah no i think that'll be awesome i'm so excited for you to have all three of your girls in this little area here it'll be nice okay next question do your kids go to swimming lessons? So this has been something I've been kicking myself about. So Lucy didn't go to swimming lessons her very first summer because we spent the whole summer at the cottage and she was getting very comfortable with water on her own, learning her limitations. She, she didn't use a puddle jumper or a life jacket or water wings. It was just her and us at a very close proximity going out and playing in the water every day. And she really understands her her limitations, and she is not scared of the water in the sense that she loves to play in it when she feels comfortable standing up. However, the AAP, so the American Academy of Pediatrics, says that the optimal age to get your kids swimming lessons is starting at one to help prevent drowning and water accidents and to help build their confidence. And I already see like Lucy is nervous to go in the deep end of a pool if I'm holding her and trying to help her swim, things like that. And That makes me nervous. So I really, what we're doing right now is my brother, his girlfriend's parents have a beautiful pool. So I'm going to be taking Lou once a week there and trying to teach her how to swim.
1: That's good because I really only know the doggy paddle.
0: (laughs) I tried to teach her that. I tried to teach her the doggy paddle. just as the first, you know, line of attack. And uh, she thought it was hilarious, but she wasn't really doing it.
1: So if you just were to drop her in the, deep end would she just
0: yes i think so yeah
1: man it's so weird i don't even know how to not swim
0: i know me too like
1: i like it's it's like riding a bike it's hard to unlearn it so it's unfathomable that you can't know that
0: well i think that for a lot of people you just panic and then you don't make movements that are conducive to staying afloat and you, you know instead you're going kind of directly down but it's, it's scary and when panic Terrifying. takes over it's even hard to rescue somebody so people you know they often say that if somebody's drowning you have to wait for a professional with some kind of flotation device to go out and save them because if you are untrained and you're going to rescue somebody drowning there's a significant risk that they will push you underwater as an attempt to stay afloat unintentionally and then you will drown
1: you gotta go and help the person though don't you
0: well yeah but like go in a team of two or something you know like but
1: sometimes there's not a team of two and that person's life is on the line so it's scary be very hard
0: oh it's so scary
1: and then you stand by and then you get charged with the bystander law
0: oh i don't think so because it the like the rule is you know like you can drown if somebody's drowning it's scary it's a weird thing i don't know so maybe we should take a course in this shane (laughs)
1: sorry lou i'm waiting for help
0: (laughs) i'd rescue my i would kill like i would get killed for my kid though so like if i could die so she could stay afloat and stay alive like i'll do that you know what i mean Mm -hmm. that's different okay
1: it's very good of you
0: thank you (laughs) okay what is the best and the worst part of the baby stage i'll go first i'll say the best part the cuddles and like i'm talking newborn stage when they're just sleeping on you all day and you're just kind of tired and you're both just sleeping together on the couch and oh it's just so cuddly and adorable and the worst part is uh just the fact that you are just you're so bound to them and you're not getting any sleep for me it's a lack of sleep
1: okay best part They don't move. You put them down and they just stay there. They don't really know how to crawl or move fast. And so really, you can just focus on the toddler. The baby is just going to stay there. And that's a great time Mm
0: -hmm.
1: for like just being easy to watch. You can even go to a restaurant, just put the baby underneath and it's going to be relatively chill. Nighttime, that's the worst time. They're crying. There's all these feedings going on. And if you're the man trying to get some shut eye while the breastfeeding's <laughs> going on, it can be very annoying.
0: <laughs> Poor husbands. Okay. So next question. What age is it okay for kids or teens to wear makeup? So I was gonna say like 13, like grade eight, maybe grade seven, about to go into high school, and I looked it up. And it is recommended age 13. What do you think, Shane?
1: I uh yeah, whenever well, – I guess whenever it's recommended.
0: Well, uh, it was recommended by by somebody on Oprah's website.
1: Well, Oprah knows. Right? I would say, <laughs> yeah, like this isn't something for me. I've been – I makeup was something I never wore except when I started covering my acne and I would use my mom's makeup. But that was in grade 10 when I started doing that.
0: Now, see, like before we get to this point, I want to have so many, so many countless conversations about the purpose of makeup, you know, why you might want to use it why the reasons not to use it what is
1: the purpose of makeup pretend i'm lucy
0: mommy well i I haven't got i don't know how to have that conversation yet shane i gotta work on that like i'm really nervous about these conversations because she has asked me about makeup now and it's weird i just tell her it's for fun which it is right Mm -hmm. but
1: what if one of the daughters asked me the purpose of my rippling muscles is it what do you say I like being strong, but really I just like them because they're so aesthetically pleasing. So that's tough. And I seem very, like, you know, not good. Vain? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, I think we're both vain to a degree. And I think everybody's vain to a degree. And honestly. Because that's what
1: I'm eating the beef bowls for. <laughs>
0: But honestly this this is something that we need to approach with the kids because I want them to be less vain than us and I want them to be less vain than anybody in our generation and just get better and get more comfortable in their own skin.
1: And I do not have rippling muscles in case that wasn't obvious, <laughs> but I I that's my goal is to have one day have them.
0: Okay, Shane. This next thing is fascinating. Can't wait. Okay. Have you heard that there will be no sperm? By 2045.
1: No, I haven't so heard that. 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 Isn't that n- necessary for children?
0: It is. So somebody wrote that in. And I was like, what? This is baloney. I went online and the first three articles I pulled up were from Yale, Politico and USA Today. And they were all about this book that just came out by Shanna Swan. So she's an epidemiologist at Mount Sinai Medical Center in New York and the author of the book Countdown which was published in February of this year.
1: Is it like countdown and then parenthesis to no sperm?
0: Essentially. Wow. So get this, okay? I'm going to read a little excerpt I found here that just says it better than I would. Following current projections, sperm counts of the median man are set to reach zero in 2045. Swan and co-author Stacey Colino, a health and science journalist, write in the book. This means that half of all men would have zero viable sperm and the rest would have very close to zero. 2045. The reason, Swan said, may be growing exposure to endocrine-disrupting chemicals found in everything from plastics, electronics, food packaging and pesticides to personal care products and cosmetics. And as such are in the bodies of just about everyone on the planet. So chemicals such as bisphenol A and Phthalates. I I know this this word. I make sure it's in nothing that we have. And I don't have to say it. Let's see. Phthalates interfere with normal hom- hormonal function, including testosterone and estrogen. Even in small doses, they pose a particular danger to unborn babies whose bodies are still developing. So, if we continue to have exposure to these chemicals on a daily basis, there is a possible projection of having. Very little viable sperm by 2045.
4: Wow. Isn't
0: that wild? I, I thought it was like a joke question or topic that somebody put in, but it's not.
1: Sperm banks are probably going to be, become very popular.
0: Well, reading more about it, it was saying that couples, it's going to become super commonplace. Like almost every couple is going to need uh, assistance, like IVF, because even the men that have sperm are going to have so few. So almost everybody's going to need to use IVF. Wow, I know it's crazy. It's crazy. I I'm shocked. Isn't there a movie about this with Angelina Jolie?
1: Yeah, what's it called?
0: Children of Men.
1: No, Children of Men. I think no.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So no children
1: for men. It
0: it was interesting because, like, you know, we're worried about climate, we're worried about everything, and here's just another way that chemicals are are screwing up our bodies Mm, and i hope this projection obviously doesn't come true but it's wild
1: oh wait i found the movie it's called spermless (laughs) starring Angelina jolie and clive Owen. okay
0: last question norway is making it illegal to not declare retouched photos in ads what are your thoughts so i'm just going to read a little bit about what they actually stipulated so the amendments which were made by the norwegian ministry of children and family affairs were passed to include a duty to mark retouched or otherwise manipulated advertising when this means that the person's body in the advertisements deviates from reality in terms of body shape, size, and skin. So it basically means that if an influencer shares a promotional content, photo, or video, and alterations have been made to their body shape, size, or skin, so like enlarging their lips, smoothing their skin, whatever, they must ensure that the content is marked with a standardized label designed by the Ministry of Children and Family Affairs. Those who violate the new regulations will face fines and potentially, in extreme cases, imprisonment. But I don't know what those extreme cases would be, so probably just a fine. So I'm into it. I'm into it. I heard Sarah Nicole Landry from the Versa talking about this, and she was kind of nervous about it because she was saying, well, where does it, you know, does it cross a line? What about the people that are nervous to put out images but these are ads this isn't your regular person and i think it's a great first step in helping to attack body dysmorphia and just you know these standards of beauty that nobody nobody can attain even the kardashians who set these standards can't keep up to these standards because they're photoshopping and body photoshopping the heck out of themselves
1: yeah but i wonder if it a byproduct of this too could be that women who have very unrealistic bodies women in the 0.5 percent of all women become even more coveted and then those models are sought after to be on whatever advertisement you're looking for and then it still perpetuates the same beauty standards that's my fear but i think in theory this could be a good practice
0: well i think that it will just you know, have to force brands to say, okay, if you want this incredibly influential person to promote your product, you're going to have to take them as they are. And then that getting blasted everywhere is just going to help people more feel more comfortable in themselves and in how they look. And I think that is so positive. And I think it's a great first step. Like, F retouch photos. Like, let's get away from that.
1: I know. But what if it's not retouched and the workaround is then people feel more pressure to actually take the plunge and get botox and i'm not saying that's good nor bad
0: no and that's that is a totally valid point and i was thinking about that too totally valid and thing is hopefully images of you know people with you know their own unique beauty not that standard like cyborg beauty face i know but some
1: if some people like this what you're calling the cyborg thing i think It's not mutually exclusive. I think we can just embrace people who are liking themselves with their Botox and also be embracing people who like to age naturally. And I don't think you have to be on team this or team that Mm. you can love everything.
0: Absolutely. But I think for advertisements, it's a smart move to make them as realistic as possible. Like Aerie does with American Eagle. Their entire Aerie line, none of the models are retouched. And it is so refreshing and I think people are thirsty for that kind of imagery and for that kind of marketing
1: we'll see or we'll see if it just keeps it going with people pursuing these unrealistic looking models we'll see I we'll see I wouldn't be surprised either way
0: yeah we'll see but baby that's it
1: that's all thanks for listening give us the five-star review if it sounds like a demand it's because it is we're desperate for these ratings and reviews (laughs) we really do appreciate them also but if you can't thank you for listening to this This family Family tree Tree Podcast. podcast
0: episode 94